Magic Crew Podcast. Rodents of unusual size? I don't think they exist. Inconceivable! I won't always come for you. How can you be sure? This is true love. Hold it, hold it. Is this a kissing book? And this is a special book. It's burning sports in it. Are you kidding? Fencing, fighting, torture, revenge. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. See? The cliffs of insanity! <laughs> he didn't fall? Inconceivable! You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. My Wesley will always come for me. Your Wesley is dead. I've seen worse. Bye bye, boys! Have fun storming the castle! Where's Buttercup? Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Buttercup is Mary Humperdinck, so all we have to do is get in, break up the wedding, steal the princess, make our escape. There doesn't need much time for Dilly Danny. Marriage! Marriage is what brings us together today. You've always been so kind to me, and I won't be seeing you again since I'm killing myself once we reach the honeymoon suite. There's a shortage of perfect breasts in this world. It would be a pity to damage yours. Ha <laughs> ha, you fool! Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line! <laughs> As you wish. A fairy tale adventure about a beautiful young woman and her one true love. He must find her after a long separation and save her. They must battle the evils of the mythical kingdom of Florin to be reunited with each other. Based on the William Goldman novel, The Princess Bride, which earned its own loyal audience. Welcome to the Legit Cool Podcast, the ultimate destination for movie enthusiasts, pop culture experts. We dive deep into the world of cinema and embark on an exciting journey through the latest blockbusters, hidden gems, and timeless classics. Speaking of timeless classics, we are reviewing and recapping the long-awaited... Uh, is it long-awaited or is it just for me? Is it just... From you, for you, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> the oh. Princess Bride, which uh, which is a film that is loved by a lot of, what would you call, uh, film cult and movie Man, enthusiasts. It, 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 yeah, it has a really solid amount of love. Like, I, like, I remember once when we were speaking a while ago, you told me this is your favorite movie of all time, right? Like, number one, number one on the list. And it wasn't surprising because I've heard so many people talk about how much they love this movie. 
and I hadn't watched it before. I haven't, I've actually only seen it the one time for this review. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's surprising, man. The amount of people that, um, talk about this. And, and I think a big part of why this movie is so loved is because it's got like the most enormous amount of quotable lines, like absolutely quotable. Like yeah. <laughs> and people, people like that. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of one liners in this. Like, it feels like Buffy on steroids in a way, right? Yeah. Like, one-liners, but also, like, long sentences. You know, people like, like to do the characters thing, uh, character role-play back and forth. People like to do stuff like that. People people that follow this know this movie so well that they can do those character lines back and forth. Like, Can you can you quit this whole film? Because I feel like you can do that for a couple of films. Uh, here's the weird thing. As much as I love this movie, I'm not as good at quoting the lines of this film the same way that hardcore princess bride followers are I, like i'm a hardcore princess bride follower but like mm. i know people that are actors and film critics that could quote this until the sun goes down like they all they the way to the end. all the way to the end um Oof. i'm pretty good with the quotes but I, I wouldn't say i'm an expert yeah okay fair fair yeah um but yeah man we're gonna get into this massive review and recap so, directed by Rob Reiner, a writer and also part producer William Goldman. He was literally the writer for the film as well, so not just the inventor of the story, but he wrote the film too. He did the book and the in the movie, right? He did the book and the movie, yeah. And and do you know like the the difference in time between those two things? Uh, I think ten years or something, or maybe oh, okay, may, yeah, maybe okay. maybe ten or twenty. Years. I know it was a quite a long time because He's marinated for a while. Yeah, marinated for like ruminated quite a bit for, and amongst a lot of different people. Um, there was there were quite a few directors that really wanted to direct it, but I think mm-hmm. William Goldman is on record saying that he wasn't really happy with any of the uh, like uh, stories that or I guess any of the ideas that were put forward to bring his story to life. He said nobody mm. could crack it, um, and he was a big fan of Rob Reiner, and Rob Reiner was a big fan of the book, and so Rob Reiner was like, "Hey, let me do." Princess Bride. I'll direct it. You write it, and let's shake hands and uh, let's see how this works out. Um, nice. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, this movie's like super old, man. <laughs> this movie actually came out in nineteen, not two thousand and nineteen. <laughs> that is incorrect. Actually, let me let me click back into this. Um, I believe the movie was like nineteen eighty five or eighty seven. Um, let me see. 1987. Wow. Yeah, right. So a pretty old film. So what day, a great year. A year after me. What a great year. That was my year where I was born. Oh, really? <laughs> so you're a year after me then. Maybe that's why I love it so much. Ah. <laughs> so that's the thing. I feel like um, there's a lot of nostalgia in this mm. that I apparently have missed out on. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of that. Right. Um, this movie has a runtime of one hour and 38 minutes. I had a small budget of sixteen million, and in the box office, it did thirty point eight million. Sixteen million in nineteen eighty seven, though, right? Mm-hmm. Let's let's look at this. I'm gonna check this out. <clears throat> sixteen. You want to do some in perspectives on that? Yeah, I want. I want to get that. Uh, so sixteen million in nineteen eighty seven is forty three million today. Wow. So it's still mm. a fairly mild budget, I think, for a film somewhat like low. that. Yeah, yeah, somewhat low. But it's also hard to think, man. What are they spending sixty million on? <laughs> Maybe some of the sets, like the insanity 
uh, the Cliffs of Insanity is probably that that looks all like movie set built. That seems real, yeah. I mean, there's castles and stuff, right? Like the castles are there, like the the the, the machine. Oh a yeah, lot of, a lot of cables in that thing. Yeah, a lot of cables in that. There's also a lot of like wire work in some of the sword fight scenes too. Oh, well, there? not a lot of wire work. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I think it's only like a couple of shots where it's wire work. You can you can see it like pretty obvious in the first uh, sword fight scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the movie stars Carrie Alwes, Mandy Patinkin, Robin Wright, Kristen Sarandon, Christopher Guest, Wallace Shawn, Andre the Giant, Rip Andre the Giant, Fred mm-hmm. Sav- Savage, Mr. Mole, Mole, Mole. <laughs> oh, really? Do you remember? What was that from? Is that from? No, no, no. From Austin what Powers. Oh, he's in that? He's the guy with the big mole. Oh no! It, I didn't not, not, I the, seen it, like, not the first awesome powers. I think it's like number two or three. Something. I think I would have seen like seen it once way back when. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So he he gets made fun of from Mike Myers because he's got a big mole and it keeps getting bigger and bigger every time the the camera cuts back to him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Peter Falk, Peter Cook, Mal Smith, Carol Kane, Billy Crystal, and Dyson, Marjorie Mason. Malcolm Story, Willoughby Gray, and Betsy Brantley. Um, this oh, so Willoughby Gray is the king. Okay, yeah. so he's like, yeah. yeah, right. He's like got like one line. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of like characters that actually don't have many lines at all, but it seems quite funny. Um, this was released on. I'll go back here. This was released. Don't actually know when this was released because I didn't write it down properly. I didn't do my homework properly. 1987. 1987. There we go. Um, and it still has a very, very high score from Rotten Tomatoes from the critics. It's 98%. And four less for the audience. <laughs> yeah, nice. I'm surprised by that. I, I would have thought that the audience rating would be higher. I have a feel like I've, I did a little bit of research on this after I watched it. I feel like there is like a, a solid number of haters as well. Oh. Like they want to make their voices heard. Those solid number of haters make up the 6%. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like the, I think the, the lovers are always like overwhelmingly positive on this, but some of the haters are like, no, i got to put my thing out there. And in your findings, did you get the feeling that the haters were just trying to be like, um, were they just extremists? Were they just trying to be like non-conformists and go get this because there's such uh, a big cult following to it? Or did they have good reasons to be like, haters? No, I felt like um, a lot of them were like, and this is kind of like my stance, spoiler alert. It's like you want to know why everyone loves it so much, but you don't really get it. Mm. Um, it, it seemed it seemed somewhat like positive, but dislike. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, the critics' consensus is a delightfully postmodern fairy tale. The Princess Bride is a deft, intelligent mix of swashbuckling romance and comedy that takes an age-old damsel in distress story and makes it fresh. Uh Let's start with our first impressions. Um, I'm going to start with you because this is, you're a newbie to this. You're a newbie to the whole world, like cult world of Princess Bride uh, followers. Um, So what is your first impressions of this film and your short review on it? Yeah, okay. So I guess like, okay, so full disclosure, like I have heard about this film a while ago and I've actually tried to watch it. A couple of times. Like, this is, like, my third attempt that I actually saw all the way through. Like, for some reason, I've always seen it and gotten maybe, I don't know, not that far along and just kind of quit for some reason or another. 
which is really weird too because like I, I've I've always wanted to see like Andre the Giant's acting because they always say that he did like a really good job in this. But okay, ignore that. Um, key highlights for me. So yeah, okay, it's kind of like a, it's a Mel Brooks comedy. It's not actually a Mel Brooks comedy, but I get that vibe from this movie, and I enjoy Mel Brooks comedies a lot. Like one of my favorite films of all time is um. Robin Hood, Men in Tights, and I feel like this kind of love that movie. I think that copied this. That's also um, Carrie Airways as well. Exactly, yeah, it's uh. the same guy. But like, it, the funny thing is, like, I love that film so much more than this, and I have a feeling it's because I saw that when I was a kid, and I didn't see this when I was a kid. Like, that's that's kind of what I'm doing with my mind about like why that makes sense. Oh, I see. This is the justification you're giving yourself because you don't get that same kind of fever that the Princess Bride yeah. following has. Exactly. Like, I don't. Like I definitely don't love this. I'm I'm not sure if I like it. That's sort of like the level that I'm at. Uh-huh. Um, but I love Men in Tights, and I just trying to say like why they're, they're kind of similar. But I, for some reason, I really love one. And I don't love the other one. I mean, not, it's, I it's probably what you're saying before. Like you grew up with Men in Tights, and I I like yeah. Princess Bride is a movie that people grew up with. Like I, exactly, I grew yeah. up with it. I, I saw it when I was twelve years old. Yeah, right. So you saw it when like you were the target demographic, right? Pretty much. But I didn't love and it when I, I first I, saw it when I was twelve, though. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you would have. Because, like, let's... Okay, actually, let me talk about the lowlights first, and then I'll come back to highlights. That way, yeah, like, it's it. more of a sh- shit sandwich. Like, I actually hated the dialogue. Like, I know you said it's quotable. I hated it. It felt oh, like... Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. It just... All the lines were just these weird things that didn't really make sense. They just... They felt like one-liners. Like, that inconceivable guy, he... Like, he felt like he was just, um, like, this movie felt like, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm really summing my words, but, like, it felt like it is from a fantasy book, and it's, like, people just acting out a fantasy book, and I know that's what they're going for, so I feel weird hating it for that, (laughs) but sitting through it, it's not enjoyable for me. So, like, you know when something's, like, bad, but it's on purpose, because that's what's happening, but the dialogue is still really wooden and weird? Yeah. That's how I felt the entire movie. And so, like, the fact that it's, like, so quotable, it, it, it really felt like someone just, like, riffing on a script for, like, two hours or whatever and saying, like, this is going to be just great. And I'm just, like, you're watching it. It's, like, there's, there's no um, connective tissue on the dialogue. Like, when, when Carrie Elwes, or what, when, when Wesley and Buttercup speak to each other, it is, like, cringeworthy, in my opinion. It's, it's just constantly awful every time they talk to each other. It just goes from, like, zero to ridiculously romantic back to zero again. Like, it's just... Yeah, I hate that. Um, you... I felt like you want to say something, but... Oh, no, I was, I was going to... I was just going <laughs> to... I was just going to say... I, re- I remember it might have been, like, a film critic or it might have been, like, a famous actor or something said something along the lines, which is... He was pitch perfect in the way he says this. He says... People either love the Princess Bride or they hate yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, right. And and he, I, and he talks about like he, the reason that he gives, which is something that I've always seen about this film, is that the dialogue is done in a way where you either get what Rob, Rob Reiner and William Goldman are going for, or you don't. Or let's say that you do get it, but uh, you just don't want to accept it because it's just stupid. <laughs> Yeah, it's that kind of thing going on, right? I think I understand. Like, I explained it as, yeah, I think it's a book being acted out, right? 
and like an old timey book of fairy tales. And I get what they're going for. I just didn't enjoy sitting through it. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, like, and I, I like maybe that's not what they're going for. In which case, I'm wrong. But that's kind of what I thought it was, and I was like, yeah, I, I hate this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I I, I, I think oh, it's yeah. ex- exactly what they're going for. I think that's why the whole opening scene is the way it is. It's because it's yeah. the granddad telling a story to his son. And if they didn't have that, I, I could see this movie not got like not doing nearly as well as it has done over the years. Um, Probably. Because like, I, I think like that really sets it up. It sets you up to yeah. say, oh, that he's going to tell you a fairy tale story, and then we're going to get into that fairy tale story. Oh, you mean the fact that like it's the, the story to a child framing? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And weirdly enough, like I actually... Like, normally I don't like those kinds of things, but in this film, it's absolutely necessary because the dialogue is just bad otherwise. And I actually really enjoyed the Fred Savage scenes. It Like, it, it, it's a nice little break when every time it happens, it's during, like, an action sequence, and, and like, then Fred Savage says something, and then, like, um, the grandpa gets annoyed. And it's also uh, just, it's quite, um, oh, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say to it. It's just, it's just kind of wholesome when you see the kids slowly getting into it. It makes you want to like it more. Sure, yeah. So your highlights are like the stuff that's n- everything other than <laughs> everything other than the down, story. <laughs> I wrote down the Fred Savage scene as one of the highlights. Like all his scenes, I'm like, yeah, I quite like it's this. Everything other than the actual story itself, it's hilarious. But lowlights, dialogue hated. Uh, the plot, um, it it's like it's not a long film, but they seem to just shoot through so much stuff. Um, like there's like just a lot of like a. Uh, really convenient solutions to things all the time. And, like, it's just kind of annoying. But it's a kid's movie, whatever, I, I get it. I hate Buttercup. I really think she's an awful character. And I know, like, it's not meant to be, like, it's 1987. It's not, like, women's rights type thing. But, like, she just walks around and continually, like, threatens suicide. Like, just, just all she does. Just walks around and says, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. You know what? It's okay, because I'm going to kill myself. Like, all the time. Like, I... I, I by the time she did it the third time, I was like, yeah, you should. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> you should because I'm happy. sick of your face. <laughs> you might as well. Like, yeah, you know, like, why tell them? You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to do it, why say it so much? I get what That's you're saying. Like, I think, I think uh, it's always going to be difficult to critique um, or give any positive feedback for a movie like this when you've already made up your mind that you don't like the... You don't like the the system that they've put in place, which the system they put in place is it's a fairy tale story, a kid's fairy tale story that's been told in, or we're watching it in the third person because he's telling the story to but There's, the there's so much suicide for a kid's film, by the way. I didn't even realize that <laughs> till now. Like, no, all she had to do was just be a standard damsel. Like, I'm mm. not expecting her to be heroic, right? It's not that kind of film, and I get that, but just less suicide and less stupidity like he's like i'm gonna send four of my fastest ships and i'm going to send a message to this wesley guy and then later she's like all your ships what about the four you sent out like she's clearly kind of <laughs> onto him but she's kind of not doing anything about it either yeah. you know what i mean yeah. like i don't know she's just like she she has these lines that just show how dumb she is and i'm just like i'd rather you had less lines yeah and, and anyway. the thing is like you know when when you don't when you haven't already accepted the the um if you haven't already accepted the whole uh like meta premise to this the meta premise is that like it's a kid story being told um 
through the grandfather telling the story to the kid and then we get into that story if you haven't already accepted it's going to be very difficult to accept anything else that happens in the film i think it's always going to be an uphill battle i can accept that it's a story because that's that's made me accept the dialogue oh okay i didn't accept it. no you didn't (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. i accepted it though like i understood what they were going for and i went through it but like buttercup being shitty is not a necessary device of a children's book Hmm. I don't think. That's not yeah, I mean, I, I, I think in, in with anything of these characters, they're so over the top, they're so satire, and they're just heavily exaggerated f- archetypes, right? That's so what this that, film is. Yeah, that's actually on my list of things I liked. Like, I felt like everyone was kind of chewing the scenery a lot. I felt like people were having a lot of fun. Uh, they're putting a lot of energy into their performance. Like, the individual performances are all, like, quite entertaining and fun. Um. I enjoyed sort of like seeing Wesley go through the three people and like sort of the with the conversation he has with Vizzini about the poison is just a fun that's a fun conversation. Like I, I really did enjoy that. Um yeah. And also like when he comes back to life and he can't move, like that's also like a lot of good physical comedy there and it's actually just that makes cuz if he was like a swashbuckling hero in that last bit, it probably would have been quite boring. But him not being able to move makes that whole sequence really fun. Yeah. So, yeah. They're my thoughts. Those are your thoughts. Right on. Well, uh, for me, um, if it's not already a surprise, it might be a surprise for some of the listeners, but I love this movie. (laughs) I hate this movie. I thought I I drank the Kool-Aid from, like, all this cult classic bullshit. I hate it. Did you watch it again? I did. Like, for this? Oh, you did. I watched it this afternoon. Yeah. I think you're going to rely on um, your memories of it. No. The 45 times you've seen it. (laughs) I've seen it a lot of times. I usually watch it once a year. Um, But but this year, well, actually this year is 2024, so I have to remember to um, not be stuck in 2023. But in 2023, I watched it probably two times. Um, Right. Okay. mm. And then I watched it again. Do you just like, turn it on for like background noise and for fun? Or yeah, I, I think that's part of the cult classic thing to do. Is that anything that you love as a cult classic film, you always just—it's good background noise or murmur. You know, it's like good background yeah. entertainment while you're doing stuff, cleaning, making food, or whatever, doing a little bit of work if it's not too distracting. Um, but yeah, man, I love this movie. Um, and the thing that I love about this movie is the characters. Like, very, very similar to you. Like, I love the way the characters are portrayed. The performances are super strong in every single scene. Um, there isn't any moment where anybody isn't giving their best shot. Like, I feel like everybody mm-hmm. enjoyed doing any, like, all these characters. Uh, and I've seen a lot of interviews with these guys, and they continue to do interviews today because it's such a loved cult classic. They continue to do interviews at, like, um, you know, supernova type events. Um, you know, the supernova that they we have here. They need the money, right? They need the money. <laughs> they need the money, yeah. Because you don't see these actors around anymore. <laughs> um, oh, Ken Carey is doing all right, isn't he? And Robin Wright was doing quite well. Robin Wright does does well. I think Robin Wright, right, well, Robin White. Oh, my God. Robin Wright and probably Billy Crystal are, like had big decorated careers Ken after this. Carey was in uh, Mission Impossible. Carry always? No, he's not going to be the next one. So. Yeah. Oh, spoiler alert, dude. Did we reviewed it already. Yeah, but like you know, maybe people listening to this didn't like listen to our review or has seen it. They can't recognize him anyway. It's all right. <laughs> but Carry always like he's not an A list actor or anything, um, and he, he didn't have a massive career the same way that like Billy Crystal did or um, 
uh, Robin Wright. Um, yeah, I, I love the whole cast. I love the story, the way the story goes through this really simplistic idea, this idea of um, princess or soon-to-be queen, whatever. Uh, she gets captured. She has no hope anymore because she loses the lover of her life. The lover of her life then takes on a new persona to then try and save her. And that's the premise. And everything that happens within that premise just makes her exciting. Everything from like the fake circus performers, which I think are my favorite characters in the film. Who are the fake circus performers? Come on, you know the fake circus performers? Vizzini, Fezzik. <laughs> oh, those are, I, do they say that? Yeah, they say three- that. I thought they're three guys. No, they say that's the first thing that they say when they when uh, they're introduced in the film. Oh crap! Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 No, those three are easily my favorite guys in this whole film. They're fun, man. Aniga Montoya yeah, cool. and Aniga Montoya has arguably got the most quotable, rememberable lines out of everything. He says it like fourteen times. <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't. He says it three times. <laughs> No, what about at the end? Yeah, oh, yeah. I don't count that part where he's repeating it because he's he gets stabbed why, or anything. Why wouldn't you? No, 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 no. no. Like, lines in the middle movie. I'm sort of talking about the, the times where he he says it because he has to say it for a certain reason when he meets a new character or when he meets like his arch nemesis. Right. But yeah, I, I, I still understand. think it's like, <laughs> yeah, he, he just repeats it back. Like yeah. Anyway, anyways, it's fine. Like, I actually don't have an issue with that either. Yeah. It's just. Yeah. yeah, so I love the this the I love all the characters and the story's great. It's just it's gentle, it's charming, it's full of laughter. Like I, I find this movie incredibly funny because a lot of the lines are super ridiculous and a lot of the stuff just doesn't make any sense. And the things that you find as an issue that don't make sense are the things that I find funny. Like for example, That's, like the yeah. RUSs. Like yeah. <laughs> there's no logic, rhyme or reason why those RUSs should exist the way they are or the way they or behave have or have an acronym, yeah. right? It's just all yeah. super ridiculous satire. And that's what this movie is. This movie, if, if when I, if I recommend this to somebody, I try and inform them that this is a super satire film that's not to be taken serious. It's about them just making fun. Well, they're not really making fun of it. They're just making fun of the ridiculous world that is the Princess Bride, which is... I think they're yeah. having fun. Like, it is kind of a uh, a satire of the genre. Like, I, I would I would admit that. Like, there's just too much comedy for it not to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, like, the thing is for me, I think I have an issue with, like, stilted dialogue because, like, again, I feel like the comedy of RUSs and the type of comedy in Men in Tights is, like, pretty close to each other, mm-hmm. like, style-wise. Mm-hmm. Yet, I feel like because Men in Tights just has a much more modern cadence of conversation, I like that way more. Right. And Men in Tights is, is a lot more about... Uh, it's really threading that needle of satire as well because it takes in... Oh, like, sure. it talks about... Like, it takes in modern sensibilities, you know? It, it, it inputs, like, a whole bunch of, like modern tech or whatever not modern tech but you know like anything that, that like would be an arrow yeah anything that would be like in present day would exist in robin hominitized because that's like complete satire and uh and what do you call it um there was a word that they used to call those types of films like something film like slap um, something mm, it's not slapstick, it's something like that though right something like that yeah i think it says with the s yeah, I can't remember, but like a hot shot style film or a naked gun type. Yeah, film or like, like scary movie things. or whatever. Um, yeah, there is a I name for those for those types of films. This is like in that category, but it's probably less so of like let's take modern things. Like it's it's very firmly in fantasy. Yep. And like I'm trying to sort of 
appreciate that fact in hindsight. Like the more I talk about it, yeah, because because like that, that's the thing is that it's it's a completely fantastical film that's in a fictional world, and and even the granddad, I think the granddad says something like it's in the fake world and the fictional world of Gilda and um, what's the other Florin, Florin, you know. They even yeah. say that, like, as a narrative. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, it's like a fake story. Yeah, and, and you've got to look at these names. These names are, like, hilarious. Like, Prince Humperdinck. Like, <laughs> and, and when you look at the Prince Humperdinck, I'm pretty sure this was completely ripped off. I mean, uh, sorry, Shrek ripped it off uh, Prince Humperdinck here. Oh, right, like when you got a... Was it, was it Farquaad? Yeah, Lord Farquaad. Like, it's got those characters, and I think the prince is called Humperdinck as well in Shrek, if I'm not mistaken. Um, is it wait? There is a prince as well as Farquaad. Like Farquaad is someone else. Oh, sorry, maybe that's him. Sorry, so sorry. Yeah, yeah. Farquaad is like the Prince Humperdinck of, um, of Shrek. Mm. Yeah. So like it's 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 set up like a lot of really fun inspirations to, I guess, other films. Um, and I just I just enjoy it. It's just it's a good time. I could watch it on repeat like it's nothing. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think it's probably something that will grow on me on time because, like, if I get over the the fact that I hate the dialogue, mm. the rest of it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. But the, the but but then like you might come around to it is that the dialogue that is so ridiculous it's so hard to pull that off in performances. I can only imagine that a story like this, when actors are reading the script and reading the the dialogue sequences, they're thinking, "How are we going to pull this off?" So I think these guys managed to pull off something that is brilliant, contagious, stupid funny and worthy of a loyal following <laughs> i can imagine that like they're reading the script going you know what i've just got to i've got to just sort of take this 110 percent because otherwise it's going to come out like if they tried to play this straight it would have been awful mm. right yeah yeah exactly um so with that being said i want to get into the recap but before we do the recap i just want to read the characters that exist in the movie i think this is a fun thing to read out i think it's quite important yeah, right. for a story like this because it's not your usual is, film is it first time or did did you do this with superman as well no no it's the first time i only oh, okay. only decided with with princess bride because it kind of calls for it like the princess bride is not a usual typical film and i think this really helps people understand perhaps why there's such a big cult following um so starting with our main character wesley he's a passionate handsome farm boy turned daring fearless pirate wesley is buttercup's true love not long after sailing away to a secure to secure a financial future for the two of them he is taken captive aboard a ship of the dread dread pirate roberts where he learns to fence fight and eventually takes over as captain he returns to florin upon hearing about of buttercup's betrothal uh betrothal to prince humperdinck he is kind, fair, quick-witted, and brave. Um, I want to see. I want to see a movie where there's Dread Pirate Roberts. We actually see the the character. <laughs> like you want a prequel, but then isn't that like two Dread Pirates ago? Because something like that. I think it'll be interesting. Yeah. Maybe somebody could. So do you're, a prequel. Pretty much, you're pretty much talking about the Phantom then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I can't even remember that movie actually. That was cool though when he finds out, like you know, oh, it's just, it's just a, it's like a job I got from my dad. He's pretty much the original Nepo baby, the Phantom. <laughs> uh, then we have Buttercup, the doe-eyed farm owner, turned f- <laughs> uh, forlorn, 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 yeah, forlorn, turned forlorn princess, and eventually damsel in distress. Buttercup is Wesley's true love. As his master, when they are younger, she is initially demanding toward him, but softens. 
uh, softens upon realizing her for him love, uh, for <laughs> her love for him, for him love. Yeah, no, that is for her. She becomes deeply depressed upon falsely concluding that Wesley has has been murdered. A depression that leads to her uh, to agree to marry Florence, dishonorable Prince Humperdinck. She is brave, quick thinking, and very passionate. You probably don't agree with the fact that she's very brave, is she? <laughs> I mean, she. I mean, look, I mean, she's, it, it she's kind of brave. bravery yes, yeah. to kill herself, right? Like, like <laughs> killing yourself is tough. And she, is she quick thinking? Like when he told her that, he was pretty much winking at the in, in the room, right? Like, this, this is crazy. Can I just say this one thing? There's this part where they're in the swamp, and she, she's like, "If you save, if you escort him back to his ship, I'll marry you." And he's like, "Of course." Then he turns to his friend, who's like. A meter away from his horse, and he's like, "Take him to the pit of despair." And he's like, "Oh yeah, I will." And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> "That's why it's so uh, stupid and funny, man." <laughs> yeah. I just found that hilarious because, like, he's not whispering; like, he doesn't whisper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so I'm going to go ahead and do more of these character descriptions as we go through the story. We go through the recap, and when, once we get introduced to some of these characters, then I'm going to go, go through Ooh, those you're descriptions. Do it smart. Okay. Yeah. I see this recap. It is long. I'm not going to cut in. <laughs> so, are you ready to get into the plot? I'm ready. All right. Let's go. open on a television screen displaying a baseball video game from the 80s i remember playing that game by the way i played it in the early 90s surprisingly decent Uh, yeah (laughs) like for 80s like for an 80s game like because back then i'm not sure actually you're right the graphics look pretty good they look great yeah like we're not in the 80s when i was like growing up actually in the 90s i was playing a game called like wizard of war did you ever play that game wizard of war no i'm not a i'm not as old as you bro (laughs) <laughs> it's like a, it's like a 2D game where like there's no there's no color it's just a single sprite and it's like this like you're in like kind of like a sort of mouse maze type thing with a gun oh, wow. you know any Commodore 64 fans what I'm talking about looks like shit compared to this game yeah well okay, I mean I, I was gonna be quiet though. I mean games from World War Two were look, look pretty old <laughs> a bedridden boy of eight is at the controls in his bedroom his mother comes in and checks for his forehead for a fever. He says he feels a little better, and she tells him that the grandfather has arrived to see him. The boy says he doesn't like when his grandfather pinches his cheek. At a moment of the grandfather bursts through the door with a flourish, uh, <laughs> with a uh, with a flourish, and pinches the boy's cheek. The boy and his mother um, share a knowing look, and then she <laughs> excuses herself from the room. The grandfather presents the boy with a wrapped gift, which he opens to reveal a book called. The Princess Bride. The grandfather says to uh, his father, read it to him. I read it to him. And then he read it to his son, the boy's father. And in turn, he will now read it to the boy. He proclaims the book's many great attributes from action and adventure to love and loss. The boy jokes that he'll try to stay awake and he settles in to listen. 
The grandfather begins reading and his words turn into a narration as we fade into the scene he's describing of a humble farm in the countryside where we see a beautiful girl named Buttercup and her handsome servant, Wesley. Buttercup. Can I just say sorry? Yeah, go for sorry. it. That's a horse's name, right? Like, for sh- like Buttercup's a horse's name. <laughs> <laughs> like, a, like, like a betting horse or something? Yeah, I reckon, no, like a, the horse that you would love and take care of and ride around sort of casually and have fun. <laughs> like Buttercup, that's a horse's name. I'm sure. I don't know many horses that have names, but um, <laughs> I, th- I think I know where you're going. But Buttercup is definitely yeah. like a name I can see in a like a horse race or something. Yeah, yeah for sure. Like I think like Go Buttercup! Go Buttercup! Go Buttercup! Go Buttercup! Go Buttercup! Got $20 on you! <laughs> I'm supposed to not slow you down. <laughs> Buttercup refers to Wesley as Farm Boy. Was that a good impression? Farm Boy. Yeah, kind of. You know, by the way, this is one of the things where I said, like, oh, the plot moves too quickly. Like, them falling in love, that happens way too quick. But that's the whole point, man. <laughs> I know, but she sounds, she sounds like a bitch. <laughs> but that's, that's how ridiculous it is. Like, how are they supposed to... I'm not supposed to... Like, if you apply... Real, real world mechanics like know, of a freaking film in the way we analyze film of course it's stupid but it's this is not that situation hence why it's so important for him to read the story and say this is a fairy tale story and also was it like she owns the farm right yeah he doesn't need to go that far <laughs> to earn money like <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that but this is this is how stupid it is <laughs> And also, one last thing. So he was Dread Private Roberts for three years, right? Yeah. Does Did he have enough money now? Or did he come back just because she was going to get married to someone else? Like, Does he have enough money? Or does she have enough money now? Does he? Like, he left to go get money. He never died. He was gone for three more years, mm-hmm. right? Was he ever going to come back? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I've never thought about that. You know what I mean? When, how much money is enough? Mo- okay, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's hilarious <laughs> alright so Buttercup refers to Wesley as farm boy and orders him to do various mundane chores for her from polishing her horse's saddle to fetching her water <laughs> his only response is consistently as you wish oh that was pretty good eh? that, was pre- that was pretty good that was nice alright um, the grandfather narrates that in time the two realise they've tacked they tacit love for each other which soon turned into passionate openly expressed desire the boy interrupts to complain about the the lack of action and we return to the bedroom and he asks wait (laughs) hold it hold it are you trying to trick me where are the sports is this a kissing book wait just wait when it gets good (laughs) keep your shirt oh wait when does it get oh when does it get I'm not just saying put your shirt on. Keep your shirt on. Holy crap. Wow, that's a very pedophiliac uh, response. No. You know, actually, I found it also kind of hilarious. He's like, I don't like grandpa. He does things to me. And the mom's like, okay, I'm going to go now. <laughs> I'm alone with him in a room. Hey, man, if you want to sexualize this whole thing, like with, uh, it's, well, it's not, ped- it's not pedophilia. What is, what's the other, um, because the kid is eight years old. So that's not, that's pedophilia, right? That's totally pedo- like single digits is pedophilia for sure. Yeah, what, what's what's the teen years? That's called uh, like a febophilia, a, a, a pedophilia, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah I, I, always, like... I always get those terms mixed up. Like I always think it's like the other way around or whatever. Yeah, right. Anyway, um, 
Ooh. But grandpa seems alright, by the way. <laughs> seems like not a pedo. I think he's he's a pretty cool with grandpa. Um, yeah. The grandfather tells him to await as he keeps reading. When we return to the farm, the, the grandfather describes how Wesley has no money with which to support Buttercup and soon sails across the sea to make his fortune, promising that he will always come for her because what they share is true love. <laughs> Does that actually reminds me of like one of my favorite lines in the film. And I actually want to get this um, on a t-shirt one day, but we'll, we'll get to that line. Okay. Um, the grandfather narrates that Wesley never reaches his destination because his vessel is attacked and he is killed by the dread pirate Roberts. Upon hearing this, Buttercup falls into deep depression and swears she'll never love again. Quote, I will never love again. <laughs> is that the one? That, that's what she says. Oh, is that the one that you want to have no, on no, the no, show? No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just oh, reading the okay. quotes, but like, um, um, that, <laughs> that's another part that I found funny in the film. I think maybe on my fifth time watching the movie, I just thought that that transition was hilarious because he says it as a narrator and then it cuts to her and she's, <laughs> and she's got this stupid depressing look and she says, I'll never love again. And then I'll it fades away. It's <laughs> 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 so dumb. Yeah, that's not bad actually. The grandfather narrates that Wesley... Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, moving to here. Five years later, the main square of Florence City is filled with with commoners awaiting an announcement from Prince Humperdinck, who speaks from atop his castle to the crowd below. He announces that in one month, on the 500th anniversary of the founding of Florin, he will marry a former commoner and make her his queen. He introduces her to the square, and she is revealed to be the fallen forlorn buttercup now called princess buttercup <laughs> mm. wait they're not married yet so she's not a princess yet no but but it, go, it goes to the scene though first before oh, okay. before they get married married the marriage doesn't happen until the end um this is yeah. just like an announcement to the city of florin um the towns the townsfolk are all bow before her as a grand as the grandfather narrates that uh, though the prince can legally marry whoever he wants, Buttercup doesn't love him. Buttercup takes solace in her daily horse ride through the countryside. <laughs> One day, as she rides, she comes across three outlaws posing as circus performers. A short Sicilian boss named Vizini? Vizini? How do they pronounce his name? His name is Vizini, right? Vizini, right? Vizini, I thought. Well, I don't... Like a strong I. Was it a strong Z, though? I, I thought it was Vizini. I, I thought know. it was like oh, Viz- I still think it's like Eni, Eni, kind of like, a, like as in Vizini, like all the other. So the, the C and the Z, I don't really care about. Like all the other pastors yeah. out there, they're all like something Eni. <laughs> yeah, like I'm just trying to say, it's not like Vizini, like quick, Vizini. it's Vizini, the Vizini. Yeah. Okay, an enormous wrestler from Greenland named Fezzik and a Spanish f- fencing master named Inigo Montoya. They ask her if the village is nearby. Um. <clears throat> Where I had the quotes here. Where is it? Where's it gone? Um, You've got. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Um, I, th- I think I yeah, accidentally. Yeah, I accidentally deleted it. <laughs> uh, they ask her if there is a village nearby. When she tells them that there isn't, they kidnap her. Physic grabs her by the neck, rendering her unconscious. I think the line goes something along, something along the lines of. Um, we are but poor lost circus performers um is there a village nearby she's like no there isn't a village for for miles from here then great 
so no one will hear you scream <laughs> or something yeah like that. that's right and then he just like knocks her out like, no 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 he just no, no, he just, he just grabs her back the back of her neck oh that's right yeah, yeah. okay he just he just he just, he just yeah. like squeezes it a little bit and she's like ah, ah, and then <laughs> passes out <laughs> it's so ridiculous um <clears throat> Vassini leaves a piece of fabric native to Florin's rival country of Gilda on Buttercup's horse and sends the horse back to the castle saying that it will raise suspicions that Gilda kidnapped uh, to the uh, kidnapped the Tubi queen that once her dead body is found on Gilda's shores it'll start a war between the two nations Fezzik and Indigo both protest killing Buttercup and get enraging Vizzini who reminds Indigo that he saved him from being penniless drunk and threatens to send physic back to unemployment in greenland am i going mad or did a word or did the word think escape your lips <laughs> you are not hired for your brains you hippopotamic landmass <laughs> what's hey, like that thing you know it's actually funny like i like vizzini yeah um, cool. i would say 80 percent of the dialogue that i hate comes from his mouth <laughs> i don't know why i don't know why like i like the guy i like the way he acts and all that stuff but all of his dialogue feels like it's a relic of a different time everyone else yeah is, like, you know inigo montoya like is normal wesley's yeah. the second most weirdest but Vizzini's the most like oh you feel like he's like right he's now. like a character out of time or something or from like a different time period that's like, not played Vizzini is the one who whenever he talks it feels the weirdest it feels Shakespearean that's what it feels like yeah but I yeah, think that's on guess, purpose yeah. because of the way he's dressed right no for sure like I get what they're going for and I understand it I just didn't enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> that's fair but I did enjoy it when they're having the uh the, the duel right the brain duel I enjoyed yeah. that yeah that's fair but yeah every other time he's just like it's such so much big words and so much and you friendless brainless helpless hopeless do you want me to send you back to where you were unemployed in greenland (laughs) 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 Uh, you hate that dialogue that's so funny um the where are we um as they leave leave shore fezzik entertains himself by responding to everything Inigo and Vizzini says with rhymes, <laughs> further infuriating Vizzini. That Vizzini, he can fuss, fuss, fuss. I think he like to scream at us. <laughs> probably he means no harm. He's probably really, really short on charm. <laughs> you yeah. have a great gift for rhyme. Yes, yes. Some other time. <laughs> Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> How does yeah, he say that? Yeah, what do you say? They want a peanut and then what? And he said something else. He, he rhymes that too, doesn't he? Well, like, because cause, uh, at this point, Vizzini's just fed up of the rhymes. And he's like, um, stop. I think he says, like, stop rhyming. I mean it. And then he's like, does anybody want a peanut? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He just gives out his way to try and rhyme it. That's, that's it. That's it. Um... <clears throat> Nightfalls and Inigo, Inigo, <laughs> Inigo watches to make sure they're not being uh, allowed, followed. They're not being followed. Sorry, though Vizzini calls the notion inconceivable. Buttercup says that they'll be caught and hanged for what they've done. Vizzini 
Vizini again reprimands Inigo for being so paranoid about someone following them, but Inigo points out that there's indeed a small boat tailing them. Vizini thinks it must be a harmless fishing vessel. As they ponder it, Buttercup jumps into the water and swims away, only to discover that the water is infested with huge carnivorous eels. Vizini bargains with Buttercup, with no harm will come to her if she swims back to the boat. Um... Oh, we uh, skipped the Fred Savage scene. The greatest scene. <laughs> oh, yeah, what was the Fred Savage like cutscene again? He just gets like scared about um, the fact that like she's gonna get killed by by these eels, and then the grandfather like reassures him that it's all fine. But it's like <laughs> like you see this big mouth drop, and then he pauses, and Fred Savage is like, "Oh wait, what about this?" And I just yeah, I, I enjoyed that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Where the eel like goes up into the camera, and then it mm. cuts. He's like, "Oh, you're looking a little bit scared or something, right?" Doesn't he say that? Yeah, more or less. I really oh. enjoyed that, yeah. <coughs> I think this is actually coming up right here. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Look, as an eel lunges at her, <laughs> we switch suddenly back to the bedroom where the grandfather reassures... <laughs> where, the, where the grandfather reassures the boy that Buttercup doesn't get eaten, as he seemed nervous that she would. He asks if the boy wants to stop, but the boy says to read a little more. Uh, the grandfather returns to narrating Vizini's bargain, but the boy reminds reminds him that he already read that part. <laughs> See, this is funny. This is kind of like us doing the recap. Like he keeps he keeps repeating the same thing that he read like maybe one minute prior to that, and then the boy is like, "No, you already read that part." <laughs> Go back to it. <laughs> they return to the moment that the eel lunges at her. Physic strikes the eel and pull <laughs> and pulls Buttercup up from the water. Vizini then tries to. Uh, sorry, ties her hands so she can't escape again. And Nigo says to the boy, and Nigo says the boat uh, behind them is getting closer, but Vizini dismisses him. I like the way, like, Andre the Giant just kills the eel. Just like, poof, karate chop. He's like, he, he conks that one out, <laughs> yeah. And the eel is just like, Bruh! and the eel looks so stupid and fake. <laughs> I, I love the sound that it makes. Like, the sound that the eel makes is like, I didn't remember that, but that's cool. Oh, it's a cool sound. It's really cool. Very eerie as well. <laughs> there's a there's a line. There's a funny line that um, Montoya says. He says, um, um, <laughs> "I wonder if he's using the same windows as we are using, because <laughs> he keeps because the black like the masked man keeps catching up to them. He gets getting closer and closer and closer. Oh right, yeah, yeah. And he's like, I wonder if he's using the same wind we are using." <laughs> <laughs> but how would he go faster? <clears throat> I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, he's just going faster just because, like, it's that's the way he wants to tell he's the got story. A bigger boat? You'd have to assume. Ah, uh, no, he doesn't have a bigger boat. It's it's just like the ridiculousness of telling the story is that like we want him to catch up, so we're just gonna have this idea where he just ends up speeding up. He's on like man's got like turbo or something or nos tanks in his. Because uh... he's a better <laughs> pirate than those guys he's... are. Yeah, there you go. It's a better pirate. He's a better pirate. <laughs> At dawn, they see that their fel- their follower is very close now. But Vizini says he's too late because they've already reached the cliffs of insanity. <laughs> see, I feel like you liked the way he delivered that line, right? Because <laughs> <I did. laughs> it's 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 such a ridiculous thing to to call that the cliffs of insanity. <laughs> see, I yeah. Alright, we'll keep going. It's a, it's a, it's a towering <laughs> sheer rock wall ahead of them. Uh, they shore up by a small climbing 
Oh, sorry. They shore up by a small ledge where a long rope hangs down. <clears throat> they rig themselves to a harness on Physic's back and he begins climbing the rope, hoisting the four of them up with sheer uh, up the sheer rock wall. As they go chasing <laughs> as they go, the chasing ship docks and a masked man in black jumps out and begins climbing the rope as well, gaining on them quickly. <laughs> like I love how how he's just pacing it up the rope, like same as under the giant. Oh yeah, yeah. Under the giant, just like, up, like yeah, like under the giant, like pacing as well. But then, like the mask man is just pacing it up super quick. I'm like, let's get turbo and everything. <laughs> Vizini angrily orders Physic to climb faster. <laughs> when they reach the cliff top, Vizini cuts the rope's anchor with a knife, but the man in black grabs the rock wall and continues to scale it. Vizini and Physic take Buttercup while Vizini instructs Inigo to wait behind and kill them and kill the man he reaches to the top. Physic tells Inigo to be careful and Vizini hurries them away. Um, <laughs> there's a quote here that's pretty funny. Um, I do not mean to pry, but you don't by any chance... Oh, no, 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 no. That, that's actually a little bit later. I don't want to say that part. Uh, Physic says to uh, Montoya, he says, people in masks cannot be trusted. <laughs> Are they? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 was that like that, that's a weird sort of one-liner, right? Like, that's like, a weird no one-liner. Yeah. From to say that, he just says it, and it's he like he just says it. Yeah. But like, Physic yeah. is the kind of character in the like the only character in the movie who says lines that are kind of out of place, like the whole rhyming thing. Like, why is that even in there? Like, <laughs> I actually like Physic a lot. Um, yeah, for that cool. reason. Physics is really really cool and a fun fact about Fezzik too I actually don't even know if I have it in my facts list here even mm -hmm. if I do I'll, I'll say it anyway but Fezzik couldn't his English was pretty bad like he's he's a French wrestler I don't know if you know that he's French yeah yeah yeah, yeah so um, his English is quite bad and apparently it was very difficult for him to memorize any of the lines and so they had to oh, chop down know. heaps of the lines yeah oh because he was going to say a lot more uh, presumably he was going to say a lot more and there was oh, maybe slightly more sophistication so they just went along with this idea that he was this kind of big kind of dumb numbing giant <laughs> sounds a little bit mean but i mean that's just reality <laughs> yeah, well, in french he's very he's probably very he's probably uh, very fluent and like you know and yeah. whatever in french but yeah he struggled big time with the script he couldn't memorize anything um that's interesting yeah yeah um, Anigo attempts to make small talk with a man as he climbs, but the latter declines to chat. <laughs> Impatient, Anigo tells the man he'll throw down what's left of the rope to speed up his climb, promising not to kill him until he reaches the top. Uh, when the man expresses skepticism, Anigo swears on the soul of his dead father, Danigo Montoya. The man agrees. Anigo tosses down the rope and uses it to pull up the man. Uh, so I find yeah. that. Uh, I mean, okay. No, it's just like it's kind of weird, right? They they spend time on these kinds of things, like you know, having these long conversations about like I don't trust you, I trust you. Well, on my father, I, you know, and then they sort of skip stuff elsewhere. It's, I find it kind of weird, but anyway. But that's kind of right for like Montoya's character because Montoya's character's goal is to get revenge, and it's important to I guess be introduced in, that early. Yeah, like, in hindsight, it's just kind of interesting point of like this guy is a honorable guy and even wesley can see that yeah and he's a poetic dude and he he's he's like the most romantic poetic dude in the in the whole movie mm. <laughs> anigo allows the man in back 
and blacker moments rest before they duel. As he does, he asks the man if he's <laughs> if he has six fingers on his right hand, as a man who slaughtered his father did. Um, uh, I don't mean to pry, but you don't, by any chance, happen to have six fingers on your right hand. Uh, do you always begin conversations this way? <laughs> <laughs> I will go up. I, I find it interesting about the idea about how, like, potentially, maybe he does. Like, he just keeps talking, like, hey, do you have, any, uh, do you have six fingers? And it's like, no. It's like, ah, oh, damn, okay. <laughs> and, but I, I, I like... I like Wesley, obviously, spoiler alert, it's Wesley, but you would have already seen this movie, presumably, listener. Um, oh, yeah. Man so, in Black. Yeah. It's so obvious as well. Like, that's also the ridiculous yeah. part as well. It's like so obvious as Wesley. Um, I like how he responds by saying, do you always begin conversations this way? This kind of anchors their ridiculous world a little bit. Like it kind of says that we do have kind of normal characters in the form of Wesley. And then we have like these really extreme fantastical characters like Montoya. <laughs> like he's, he's kind of like a interesting NPC almost, you know? Mm. Um, and Wesley's like, do you always begin conversations this way? <laughs> That's actually a line I like to say to people sometimes if I meet them for the first time, see if they know. Oh really? Yeah. I'd be like, oh, Hey, yeah. did you do it to me? Cause I would not have got that. I, I, like, I, I, I never done yeah. it to you. I never did it to you. I'll, I'll do it to just to kind of, you know, throw it out of there in the dark, like take a stab in the dark, <laughs> just to see if like someone's like a movie hardcore, I'm like, Hey, I don't mean to pry, but right. uh, do you by any chance have six fingers on your hand? <laughs> oh, <he's> so good. <laughs> um, the boss man shows that he only has five. <laughs> and Negro explains that 20 years ago when he was 11 years old, a man with six fingers requested a sword from his father, who agreed. The sword was unparalleled in its craftsmanship, but when the six-fingered man returned to, to claim it, he offered only 10% of his original price. And Nigo's father refused, and the man stabbed him through the heart. And Nigo challenged the man to a sword fight and lost. He challenged him when he was 11 years old, dude. That's some pretty ballsy shit. One thing I don't <laughs> understand, right? Uh, and this is maybe... I'm not sure if it's like a plot thing or whatever, but like... He... He came back and the dad said, like, you know, you can't have this sword because you're only paying 10%. And he kills the dad. Why does he not take the sword? Cause the yeah, because the son has the, the sword. The son has the sword, yeah. I don't know. Maybe the sword, yeah. like, maybe he freaked out because he's about to... He, he was, like, confused on whether he should kill a 11-year-old boy or something. I don't know. <laughs> but he managed to, like, throw him in the face and say, like, come back when you're older i don't know like he seemed pretty in control at yeah. that time is all i'm trying to say i'm just gonna put it down to like it's just ridiculous like it's stupid like, <laughs> of course he should have done that but then it wouldn't have created a story where it's like a revenge story for him <laughs> uh, well no, he just he just could have had like a different sword and like you know he True. gets the sword back yeah oh which would be cool mm. maybe yeah, anyway, maybe sorry. he was like, green i keep kid, trying I to know. find I keep trying to plot holes, yes, I know. <laughs> which I shouldn't do, because I know it's, like, silly and fun. Wait, I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet. An <laughs> um, ego challenged the man to a sword fight and lost, and the man spared him, or spared his life, and gave him a scar on each cheek as punishment. I like the way the camera is like uh, does this shot, too. He's like, but he gave me these two scars. Like, he looks, it's like the left cheek and the right cheek, and there's, like, a little guitar in the background. I don't know if you noticed that. It's like, no, I did not. It's like, diddling. Diddling. <laughs> oh, no, no, I didn't, I didn't notice that at all. Yeah. Indigo has since dedicated his life to finding the man. The man in black says he hopes he does. They begin their fight, both showing exceptional skill with their swords and talk politely as they battle. I love the score in this too, man. 
like the the musical I, score. I, but I enjoyed the dialogue and just how sort of fun it was. Yeah, man, the musical score is awesome in this. It's like da 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 da. And if you notice, I don't know if you did, you probably didn't, but the sword fighting is deliberately on beat with the score. Oh, really? Did you notice that? No, I didn't. Not at all. Not at all. No way. I thought that was so obvious. I'm not good with sound. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Clearly yeah. not. Um, uh, Anigo praises the man's skill, uh, but reveals that he is not left-handed and switches to fighting with his right hand. I love like the line between these two. He's, where he says, like, oh, you, you are really, really good. And he's like, then why are you smiling? Because I know something you don't know. And what is that? I'm not left-handed. <laughs> then he changes and then yeah. the score changes again. And he's like, wow, you're very good. He's like, but you don't know something I don't know. And I'm I'm not left-handed either. And then the score ramps up a little bit more with um, uh, Wesley doing his right-handed stuff. That's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoy that. And then Wesley's like, ends up, I mean, I shouldn't say it. <laughs> ultimately he's better yeah he's also better and he goes swings uh to to it or swings to it via a bar oh actually i just skipped a little bit there um but the man reveals that he's also been fighting with his non-dominant left hand and switches to his right hand right as well knocking an sword away and swords uh and swings to it via a bar set <laughs> the stone arch way beside them because you know there's like bars and random stone pieces all the time <laughs> Yeah, right, yeah. And oh, yeah, <laughs> holding in between them, yeah. And that's why I didn't mind. Yeah, that's stupid. Why is that there? <laughs> Shouldn't be there at all. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's definitely like a, a broken down area. That's just the way things are. Yeah, and there's a perfect pole <laughs> there. Um, uh, where an ego swings, or, sorry, archway beside them, and the man follows with the same <laughs> gymnastic motion. But he's better. Yeah, he's better. He does like what three somersaults or something. Yeah. Um, Anigo asks the man's identity, but he declines to reveal it. They fight on, and the man eventually disarms Anigo. He falls to his knees, requesting a swift death. But the man instead praises his skill and simply knocks him unconscious with a minor blow to the head before running off after Fezzik and Vizini. And notice every time like he runs away or he runs off after a scene the score has the same kind of um what do you call it motif where it goes duh, 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 i feel like you're going to be consistently disappointed by my understanding <laughs> of uh, the score Music. changing <laughs> but it's like it's like the biggest character of the film man that explains why <laughs> <laughs> that explains a lot uh, i guess i guess um there's a couple of really fun lines that i like in, in this scene too uh, before I move on, uh, one of the fun lines is he says, um, "You seem." Oh, I'm going to paraphrase this, but he says, um, "You seem like a lovely fellow. I hate to kill you." And he says, "You seem." Oh, you seem like a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. You seem like a decent fellow too. I hate to die. That's such a cool yeah. piece of dialogue between the two. Of them. I do like that one. Was a kind of nice one. That is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, is there any other quotes that I have in here? Um, I do not envy you the headache. Oh yeah, so this is the last thing he says in the scene. Um, Wesley says to him, I do not envy you the headache you will have when you wake. But in the meantime, oh no, 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 sorry, sorry. No, 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 that's the next scene. Never mind. Moving on. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, Anigo allow, 
they begin their fight, both showing... Okay, no, no, sorry. Where am I? Uh, Vizini, Fezzik, and Buttercup see the man in black coming over the hills in the distance. Vizini exclaims, Inconceivable! <laughs> Yet again, and takes Buttercup himself. Demanding that Fezzik surprise the man with a boulder to the head when he reaches to their location, Fezzik takes a rock and waits. When the man draws near, Fezzik throws the rock only to scare him and request that they put down their weapons and fight with their hands. The way he throws the rock, oh my god, it's so hilarious the way it explodes. <laughs> I mean, he's like, just like in the water, like, yeah, but rocks don't explode like that, bro. <laughs> when, when, when Andre throws them, they explode. <laughs> it was like, it was like a, like a non ninja bomb or something. It was hilarious the way it went. And even the sound effects, like, Poof! Um, the man agrees and charges him doing absolutely no damage to his brute bulk he dives between Fezzik's legs and two make polite small talk as Fezzik hurls several unsuccessful punches the man jumps on Fezzik's back and begins choking him Fezzik slams him into the large rocks but the man succeeds in choking him unconscious he checks that Fezzik is still breathing and wishes him a good sleep and he retrieves his sword and runs off after Vizini and Buttercup. <clears throat> I always found that battle like it just ended quite quickly. But like, you know, whatever it makes sense. <laughs> it did. And then Wesley says to him, I do not envy you the headache you will have when you wake. But in the meantime, rest well and dream of a large woman. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, what is that? Dream of large. That's, that, that, that's fun. That's it's nice. Funny. It's like, I it's know. Nice. It's funny and ridiculous. <clears throat> Um, wait, where are we? <clears throat> um, inconceivable physics. Uh, the man jumps on physics. Yep, he checks that physics is still breathing and wishes him a good sleep. Yep. Meanwhile, Prince Ampadik and the battalion arrive and survey the footprints where Nigo and the man in the black jewel. Ampadik deduces that the fights. Um, loser ran off and that the winner followed several sets of footprints toward where Vizini escaped with Buttercup. He assumes Buttercup's kidnapping was the work of a gilder <laughs> and his and his men take off following the winner's footsteps. And this is where it gets even more, like, I think the ridiculousness and the exaggeration builds up even more at this point because we meet Prince, Prince Hupperdick, this is like the first kind of real scene that we get with him and he's mm. all of a sudden like CSI investigator and he can figure out everything. And <laughs> Yeah, and he's like, um, he's actually decent at it. He's, he's actually decent. quite good. Yeah, he's believable. Yeah. I think his delivery of lines are great, uh, as uh, with most of the characters in here. But yeah, it, like, but like, it's funny it, how he's, he's doing the investigation, cool. and he's like, he's he's saying everything accurately. <laughs> yeah, he's like, there's this person, and then he left, and then look at what about the loser? It's like, don't worry about the loser. He's <laughs> just like scamping away. And the way he like shuffles yeah, back and forth, like with the with the steps, like almost imitating like the sword fight scene as well. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah! It's all of that. It's so funny. Uh, no, we can drop with that. The masked man finally finds Vizini holding a blindfolded Buttercup at knife point at the top of the large hill. The two sit at a flat table-like rock where some food and two two chalices are laid out. This is a ridiculous thing. It's like when did he have the time to get like cheese, crackers, wine? <laughs> he had like grapes on there. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like. like I, this is probably like one of my, 
Uh, favorite? Like, it's, I enjoyed this scene. It's like, a good scene. One of the most. Yeah. yeah, it's a fun time. But yeah, like the fact that he's like, you know what? I'm going to be the brain guy. Like, it's yeah. like, like a little challenge. Like, everyone had their own little challenge. Yeah, man. He's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to pay a visit down to the market stores to pick up some of, like, these groceries. <laughs> set up a nice tablecloth on the on the rock. <laughs> and just set up this yeah. little little piece here. Um, the the man challenges Vizini to a battle of wits to the death, which the latter accepts, claiming to be smarter than Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates. This, this is a stupid line. He's like, he's like yeah oh he says like i'm smart right and then he's like oh are you he's like well you know plato aristotle socrates idiots it's <laughs> 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 like so, so far i've hated his dialogue but in this particular scene he he i enjoy it for some reason i don't know what happens i know what's different about it but that was like a good line that he had yeah and these I guys mean, like yeah i've heard of them they're all idiots <laughs> to me. i'm the smartest man alive <laughs> What a way to prove like your uh, your um, intelligence! Just saying that they're stupid. Uh, yeah. The man in black sits, and Bassini pours wine into each of their cups. The man takes them behind his back and returns them, claiming to have poisoned one of them with iocane powder, and asks Bassini to deduce which one. Um, <laughs> uh, there is. I'm going back up here. Uh, Oh yeah, you for a quote? Yeah, a couple of quotes here that I have here. It's just um, from Vizzini. You know, have you heard of Plato, Aristotle? Yes, morons. <laughs> That's the word, morons. Um, you never go against a Sicilian when death is on the line. Ah. <laughs> so we're getting up to that. Oh, <laughs> we're getting up to that. That's a good there. bit. But I enjoy this part more. You know, when he's like trying to sort of reason out why he's not going to pick his cup or his own cup or their like he's trying to just reason it all out he just keeps saying i would never click this because of this i would never pick this one because of this i would yeah. never pick that one because of this that's right like, it's pretty fun he momentarily distracts the man and switches the cups around and then decides to drink the poison however he quickly collapses dead and the man frees by the cup and reveals that both cups were poisoned but that he spent years building up an immunity to iocane powder <laughs> and for this one moment for this one moment and uh and also like a, a quick mention we get we get some nice limelight here for australia he says iocane powder was oh, yeah. was was made in in australia and australia is full of convicts or something <laughs> Do you actually say, like, yeah he says that like, i don't really say australia a lot but they actually say convict yeah he, he said like australia like iocane powder was was invented in australia and australia true by the way I don't even know what Iocane powder is, man. I think it's just made up. <laughs> I don't think Iocane powder is a Princess Bride wiki item. Right there, you go. Yeah, mm. <laughs> it's funny how like Australia gets a mention like that. They get bagged on pretty bad. Like, is this mm. something about convicts or like prisoners or? Yeah, I can't remember the exact line. And that's the thing that's kind of weird, right? Because they like, in this universe, they can't be in Australia. True. Oh yeah. See, that's the ridiculous thing as well. They can't be in Australia because Australia wasn't really a country <laughs> at that point. Yeah, I don't even know. Like, like did did, uh, did England take over them yet? Does England exist? Nah. Australia, how old is Australia now? It's coming up to almost 200 years old, right? It's like 170, yeah. 180 years old or something. Yeah, because by the time that England took over Australia, there was, it was guns already, right? Yeah. So, like, there was, it wasn't swords. No. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. This is doing, I guess, a little. Anyway. It's it's taking like a page out of that um, 
uh, the Mel Brooks uh, book, I guess, you know, it's, it's becoming a little bit meta, like in that line, maybe. Um, Prince Humperdinck and his squadron reach where the man defeated Physic. Humperdinck claims that the Gilda will suffer greatly if Buttercup dies, but they take off the direction the man uh, the man went. It's funny, the way he takes... Do you remember how he takes off in, in, in this part after, like, assessing and investigating? Like he jumps from the horse, right? <laughs> yeah. I felt bad for that horse. I, I, I reckon at the end there was no, like, no animals were harmed. Like, I mean, was that a real horse, though? Has to be, right? That's like 1987. Yeah, true. But like, he just, like, chunks on there, and the horse feels it. That was hilarious, man. Like, the way he just <laughs> jumps on the horse. <laughs> yeah. Um, Butter- Buttercup promises whatsoever, uh, whatever ransom the man wants if he release her. But he laughs at her. She says that her prince will find her, though she doesn't love him. The man accuses her of being incapable of love, and when she claims to have loved more deeply than he ever will he raises his hand i remember this part he raises his hand almost gets a hitter as a warning to not lie they take off running again prince hubbardick finds vicini's corpse aside the rock did i just skip a whole bunch i don't know uh, <laughs> prince hubbardick finds vicini's corpse aside the rock with the chalices and deduces that he was killed by iocane powder he claims he claims he'll be very put out if he doesn't find buttercup alive and he and he has his men take off again when they stop to rest again buttercup reveals that she knows a man in black is the dread pirate roberts and he admits he is she wishes death upon him claiming he would he killed her love he asks who his love was who this love was suggesting that it must have been some other ugly prince (laughs) but says she but she says that he was a poor farm boy with eyes like the sea after a storm the man claims to remember remembering uh remember killing him uh saying he died well asking only to live so that he may see his beautiful faithful love again the man mocks the idea that buttercup is faithful however citing how quickly she got engaged to the prince after learning wesley's death buttercup is livid claiming to have all but died when wesley did they see Prince Humperdinck come. Uh, uh, <laughs> they see Prince Humperdinck and his cavalry approaching in the distance, and Buttercup pushes the man down to a steep hill into a ravine. I've never heard of that word. Ravine. 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 Into a ravine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not a ravine. A ravine. Telling him to die, he calls out, "As you wish!" As he tumbles, revealing that he is actually Wesley in disguise. Realizing this, Buttercup hurls herself down the hill after. The tumble, uh, they tumble to a halt, Wesley losing his mask as he goes atop the hill. The prince surmises that the two of them headed into the fire swamp and give chase. <laughs> so did you, like, enjoy that reveal? Like, I knew we knew the reveal, like, we as the crowd knew the reveal already, but did you like the way that played out on screen? Um, yeah, I think so. I think I like the way that paid up because like he he's he's trying to earn her honesty and i i think he's sorry not trying to earn his her honesty i think he's trying to um identify that she still loves him after all these years and i think that was the test behind all of this and then when the test is is done she pushes him and then the real reveal happens as you wish And, and it makes sense because the words that he always said to her from the very beginning 
of when they fell in love was as you wish. So yeah, that made sense to me. The reveal was kind of cool. Uh, it's not like it didn't make sense. I just felt it wasn't like uh, a powerful thing. And I think the key difference that I would have liked is instead of as you wish rolling down a hill, he could have just like said as you wish in a cool way. Well, and then she I, finds out. Like, I guess he could have. And I would have been fine with that. But I think this is funny. I would have preferred <laughs> that. Like, I think this is funny because uh, because yeah, it's supposed that. to be ridiculous, right? Like, it's funny how she get, he gets pushed out. And then she I just think, rolls like, with it. If I keep leaning into, like, the fact that it's meant to be ridiculous, I get it. But I felt like that moment would have been a really powerful moment if he did it without, like, not long and yelly. <laughs> I don't know. I would have preferred it. As, it was just a cooler moment. That's all. I get you. I, I get it, though. I get you. I get you. Um, but okay, where are we? Where are, I keep losing my position in this because <laughs> it's a big old. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Recap. All right. <laughs> so I'm just gonna do this so then I know where I am. Uh, Buttercup and, and Wesley reunite passionately. Um, he asks why she didn't wait for him, and she says she thought he was dead. They share a long kiss. It's been five years, dude. <laughs> like this is true. Yeah, it's been a long time. They share a long yeah. kiss, and we cut back to the young boy's bedroom where he now eats on a lunch tray. He pros- he protests for having to hear them uh, hear about kissing again. The grandfather, now holding a mug, says he might not mind it someday. <laughs> the boy asks to hear about the fire swamp, and the grandfather continues reading. So he says to him. Um, they're kissing again. Do we have to hear the kissing part? It's like someday you might not mind it so much. Skip to the fire swamp. That sounded great. You're sick. I'll humor you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and then we cut to the fire swamp part. Uh, Wesley and Buttercup see the prince and and his men following them from the top of the ravine and run into the fire swamp, from which Wesley claims no one has ever come out alive. <laughs> she what does she say she says something to the effect of like um oh no he says isn't it him like no one like, like why are you so scared is it because no one's like ever come out alive or something like that or no, because no one ever has no like she she says she says uh i think she's the one that says no one's ever come out of alive and he's like and he says nonsense you're only saying that because nobody has <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that was a good line like the lines do get better as time goes on i realize oh i have it here um she, was, she says we'll never survive and he says nonsense you're only saying that no because no one ever has <laughs> yeah um and then in the fire swamp like he get, he says things like it's not that bad i'm not saying that i'd like to build a summer home here but the trees are actually quite lovely <laughs> uh. um yeah, okay, so in the fire swamp, uh, for which Wesley claims that no one has come out alive, in the dark, ominous swamp, the two navigate thick trees and vines. Um, they hear deep, popping noise in the ground, following, uh, followed by a burst of flames that light up Buttercup's skirt on fire. Wesley puts it out, and they continue on, avoiding um, another bout of popping and a second fire plume. It feels like... Again, this is like probably the lowest budget part of this movie. It does feel like a movie set for sure. <laughs> but I, I, I think even the sword fight scene in the in the hilltop, like in the mountain on the cliffs of insanity, that looks pretty studio. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't feel as bad because like there's, just, there's less moving parts, so I feel like it's it's not that bad. True, true, true. Yeah. Whereas this one, it's like. <laughs> 
<laughs> looks like budget ads. It feels like something that like a pyrotechnic in the crew would have like devised without making it. I don't know, like special effects or something. Exactly. Yeah. Deeper in the swamp, Wesley recounts how it it was true that he asked the dead pirate, dread pirate Roberts, to spare his life so that he might return to Buttercup. But in fact. Roberts took pity on him and took him on as a valet, though he threatened to kill him just about every night. For three years, Wesley lived as a servant, learning fencing and other skills, and eventually he and Roberts became friends. One night, Roberts revealed that he was not uh, the real Dread Pirate Roberts, nor, <laughs> nor even was his predecessor, but that the real Roberts had been retired 15 years, and that each man that took over his position as captain took on his name to continue his fearsome reputation. He offered Wesley the job, um, and for two years, Wesley assumed Robert's identity as uh, and captain the ship. But now he's found Buttercup. He says that he too, he, he too shall retire and pass the job on to someone else. Who do you think? Who else, like in the cast, could be the Dread Pirate Roberts? Maybe. Uh, oh, he, he offers it already. Who does he offer? Yeah, he offers it to an ego. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Legitimately gives him the job. Oh, yeah, I forgot that part. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, as he finishes the story, Buttercup is sucked suddenly and completely into a small patch. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Yep. Wait, where are you at? <laughs> as he finishes yeah. the story, Buttercup is sucked suddenly and completely into a small patch of quicksand. Wesley thinks... Uh, quickly and dives in after her holding a vine. During the silence while the two are submerged, a hideous grunting rat the size of a small bear, uh, bear comes along and sniffs at the sand before wandering off. Wesley, Buttercup, uh, Wesley and Buttercup use the vine to climb out of the sand, gasping for breath. <laughs> As they recover, Wesley realizes that they're surrounded by giant rats. They continue walking, uh, listing off the three dangerous uh, dangers of the fire swamp, the fame bursts, the la lightning sand, um, and the RAUSs. Rodents of unusual size. <laughs> See, surely at this point you're kind of like, okay, okay, this is all... Like, like, from the start, I got what was going on. Like, I accept, I, I understood it. I just didn't, like... Lots. I wouldn't say I didn't accept it. I just said, like, uh, this, I don't, I'm, I'm not a fan You're of thinking this. it's going to take a bit of time for you to get on board with it, for sure. I'd have to watch it multiple times. Probably. Like, the dialogue is really wooden and weird. And, like, it's kind of funny. At the start, it's like... Okay, Vizzini, in hindsight, is the worst for it. And as it goes on, it gets a little bit more Mel Brooksian. And I'm into that. Yep. Yep. I'm trying to go up here. Um, uh, uh, okay, never mind, never mind. Okay, back down to here. He wrestles it off and, and it charges... Um, and it charges instead of at Buttercup. She attempts to beat it with a stick, and Wesley wrestles it with it again, uh, suffering another bite to the shoulder. Hearing popping noise nearby, he rolls himself into the rat toward it and throws the rat into the subsequent flame burst. He then grabs his sword and strikes it through, killing it. And this is another like musical cue where he stabs the RUS, and the music's like, dun, dun, dun. And then he stabs it for a third and last time, and then the music's like, <laughs> like he's killed it. <laughs> you know, one thing I don't, um, didn't like about this scene, I don't know, I think it's like, again, it's me just trying to make sense of, of, of the people, and like, I know it's, it's weird and wild, so it doesn't really matter, but she 
stands there and does nothing while the love of her life, who she's waited like <laughs> that's what I was thinking. For, like exactly, I know, right? Yeah. Like she's just there, and yeah. like she just like watches, and then she picks up a stick and she's just holding it, and then when it comes after her, she hits it. Yeah, she's like but super useless. Then, in the <laughs> yeah, and, he, and like he's not like winning handily. You know what I mean? Like he's getting his ass kicked. Yeah, pretty badly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's getting wounded pretty weird. bad. Like he's got like freaking. Uh, blood grazes all over his shoulder and shit like he looks pretty beat up and he's yeah. and he's inhaled like a stomach's worth of sand dude already <laughs> yeah, he's i mean she, such a hard so time seriously yes yeah well she has too but like she's ready she's ready to go and as soon as like it comes after her it's like oh yeah i'm going to i'm gonna whack this thing now and i'm just like you could have whacked it while he was getting like because like it's the first thing it does is like dig into his arm right like deeply yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> and then yeah, yeah, and then like into his shoulder, like it's deep. It's just wild. And she's just kind of like, but, anyway. uh, uh. but she's she, remember she has to play that damsel in distress. If she was, if she had like any kind of action sensibilities to her, she probably wouldn't be damsel in distress. Yeah, but then like she shouldn't pick up the stick. Yeah, but I feel like <laughs> that's what a damsel in distress would do. Like that's the best they can do is like pick up a stick, or maybe like like slap someone or whatever. <laughs> that's true. Anyway, I shouldn't judge it too hard. Like, it is, like, a sort of fun film. They reach the other side of the swamp and enter a pleasant wood. Uh, there they meet... Uh, there they met unexpectedly by Prince Humperdinck and his men, who demand that they surrender. W- w- Wesley refuses, but when Buttercup realizes that they're completely surrounded, she bargains for Wesley's life in exchange for her quiet return to Florin, saying that she can't bear to experience his death twice. <laughs> The prince agrees to see Wesley brought back, uh, brought safely back to his ship, but quietly orders his right-hand man, Count Rugen, to throw Wesley in a pit of despair when they return to Florin. <laughs> there is, uh, where is it up here? Um, hold it, hold it, hold it. It's not that. Oh, okay. Um, you read that wrong. She doesn't marry Humperdinck. She marries Wesley. I'm sure of it. All of... Oh, (laughs) Yeah, Fritz Savage. After all that Wesley did for her, she didn't marry him. He wouldn't... (laughs) It wouldn't be fair. It's it's cute how, like, Fred... His name's not Fred. What's it? Does he even have a name in this movie? I can't even remember. It's Fred. No, it's not. Surely not. (laughs) Yeah, why, why, why wouldn't it be Fred? Uh, what's his name? I think his name's just the grandson. I think that's the whole. Yeah, point. that's the whole point. Yeah. Um. Okay, and then the grandfather now holding a mug says he's not. Oh wait, where am I? Um. I think I just skipped a whole bunch of stuff. Did I? <laughs> well, you're sort of like halfway through here, so right. Uh, the prince agrees. Like you're sort of like she's bargaining for his life, so he can't experience. Oh, sorry, twice. I'm down here. The prince agrees <laughs> to see Wesley brought back safely to his ship. I have an accidental right? like uh, bolded text up there because I'm using the bolded text to, to guide me through. Here we go. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're doing here. Yeah, I can see it live. A full on buttercup wonders. Oh wait. No, so you're talking about like okay, realistically, right? He. This is the screw job scene where it happens, where he's like, okay, we're going to kill him anyway. Mm-hmm. He hits him with a blow to the head. You find out that he's got six fingers, which is kind of cool. Yeah, the screen but goes then in the next scene, In the next scene, a rugged, think- homely man with the sheer skin comes, to a large, uh, comes into a large underground chamber full of instruments of torture and lit by dozens of candles carrying a tray of food. He tends to an unconscious Wesley 
wounds. Um, when Wesley awakens, the man tells him he's in the in- inescapable pit of despair. What does he say? He says, "He says, where am I?" He's like, "The pit of despair." Don't even. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> Don't even think about trying to get out of here. <laughs> It's one of my favorite lines in this movie because, again, it felt really Brooksian, where he's just like got this like really fantastical fantasy voice, and then he's like, <clears throat> just talks like a normal guy. <laughs> and I love how it's like a Cockney accent or something. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's like, like British, British dude. <laughs> um, I enjoyed that. He is healing. Uh, he is healing Wesley so that he'll be healthy when he is tortured to death. <laughs> Wesley claims to be able to withstand torture, uh, but the man says that no one can survive the machine. He kind of remi- who does he remind me of? He reminds me of a British comedian when he says that nobody with- can withstand the British machine. comedian. Yeah, there's a British comedian I'm thinking about. Can't think of him right now. Mm. Anyway. Uh, a fallen buttercup wanders the castle or hauls aimlessly. The prince the prince comments to Rugen that it must be his father's failing health uh, that upsets her. And the grandfather's voice narrates that the king died that night and Buttercup and Humberdink were married by morning. And that's when he, and that's when Fred Savage says, no, 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 he can't be married, blah, blah, blah. He has to marry um, Wesley. The boy interjects, yeah, that's what he says. The grandfather says that the life isn't fair and asks for no more interruptions. He continues saying that Buttercup was greeted by townsfolk as their new queen, and we see Buttercup enter the square as before, this time with a much larger uh, crown. As the commoners bow before her, a single old woman in the crowd boos her. Boo! (laughs) Boo! (laughs) I actually remember when I was... uh, uh when i was at uni there was yeah there was like a i can't remember what we were doing but um i think we were like booing and saying like oh that's that's so shit to something like in the in like the uni square or like maybe around like the food areas and i heard a guy yeah. just quoting from princess bride and he was like <laughs> how funny would it be though if you're like you're talking to him and you're like oh wait that's just his voice <laughs> yeah yeah oh no no that's just how it's, yeah he's not quoting anything um the crowd boos her uh, claiming the whole uh, square that the buttercup had true love but treated it like garbage she continues to insult and boo at her repeatedly bow, bow. <laughs> and buttercup awakens in castle bed revealing that it was just a bad dream the grandfather narrates that it's 10 days until the wedding and though the king is still alive buttercup's nightmares grow uh, are growing worse the boy is happy to hear he was right about the unfair ending and the grandfather tells him to shut up (laughs) (laughs) Uh, grandfather's the best character in the movie the grandfather's cool i like her i like her a lot um Buttercup goes to Humperdinck's office and professes her eternal love for Wesley. She threatens to kill herself if she can't be with him. Humperdinck calls off the The first time. (laughs) This is when you're like, oh, really? Again? Again? Come on. Come on. Anyway. Come on, Buttercup. Get off that depressor wagon. Exactly. She's just always threatening like a rando thing. But anyway, yes. I know. I know, right? Um... Did I miss any like cool quotes here? Uh no 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 on the brute squad. Nope, 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 nope. Uh the king's anyway. Um 
Oh yeah, like, uh, I have a, I have a quote from the ancient Boa, and her name is actually the ancient Boa. <laughs> the ancient Boa. Oh, yeah. okay. What does she say? She said, <laughs> so bow down to her if you want. Bow down, bow to her. Bow to the queen of slime, the queen of filth, the queen of what? <laughs> Patric. Oh, it's like putri- trash or putrescence. 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 I don't know. I feel like it's putrescence. <laughs> anyway. Put- yeah. Boo! Boo! Rubbish! Filth! Slime! Muck! Boo! <laughs> that's a, that's a uh, funny line. I love that. I love that. Okay. Um, he questions if Wesley uh, will want her back after she, she left him so willingly, but Buttercup says that he will always come to her. Humperdinck decides to send four copies of a letter written by Buttercup on his four fastest ships in different directions to find Wesley's ship and deliver news that Buttercup wishes to be with him. Uh, Hubbardick says that if he comes for her, she can be with him. But if he, but if he doesn't, she should consider marrying him over killing him, killing herself. Buttercup agrees. Oh. Um, hmm. Done. No, no, no. I always find that, like, yeah, that scene is just like, I don't know. I, at this point, my, my distaste for Buttercup is quite large. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is. Uh, I mean, she does go grow increasingly annoying. Like, and I would have to agree with you. I think the most there's any annoying character in this, it's probably Buttercup. But mm. it's it's almost by design, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> in the woods like she's a damsel in distress but she just gets so many lines damn it like you know what I mean like a lot of lines for a damsel in distress yeah yeah uh, yeah she had to be given a lot anyway. of lines it's Robin Wright they saw the future of her <laughs> at this you know what I it was, it was kind of funny I, I was watching Forrest Gump recently and like I did not realise that Jenny was Buttercup oh I don't even know that either I mean yeah, I, I, I can't remember I can't remember Forrest Gump that well, but um, Forrest Gump is an interesting one. I actually got asked, I got a DM um, yeah. on Instagram asking if we're to, going to do uh, Forrest Gump. I said, that's actually not on the list, but we could put it on there. If I if we could do that, I wouldn't have to watch it again. Because <laughs> <laughs> I saw it somewhat recently. True. Um, and real quick, I'm not the biggest Forrest Gump fan, but... Whoa, okay, you know, we should finally do something that I like that you don't. <laughs> it's like one of the few times yeah oh you if you like Forrest Gump we could do it yeah I haven't seen it in a very long time I, I we could it. do it we could do it um, I can't believe you don't like that you like this <laughs> <laughs> wow man what a shade what a shade on such a classic dude this is a timeless classic it's a hidden gem it's everything man yeah I wouldn't be able to fight anyone like who loves this it's way too many people <laughs> In the woods, Prince Humperdinck and Cal Rugen discuss how Humperdinck uh, hired Vizzini to kidnap and kill Buttercup. Ooh, big reveal. That's a cool reveal, right? Surely you must have enjoyed that reveal. Yeah, I was into that. Yeah, you, you, I, you didn't see this coming. Like, surely this was a surprise. Well, the thing that is interesting, right? It, re- it relies on the fact that um, the, the townspeople love her and would be mad at her death. Mm. But you haven't seen anything to suggest that the, crowd, the townspeople like her. Yeah. So 
it falls a little bit flat, but I, that, it's, it's one of those things. So where, remember, no, no, when no I, but, but with the townspeople, we don't really know if they like her or not because it's always been a dream. Yeah, but the only reason that her dying by Gula has any weight is if the townspeople like her or the city people. True, true. Like, and, and that's the thing where I feel like they spend a lot of time on things that um, are fun but don't ultimately matter, and then they're really quick with key plot points. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And and it's it's the funny thing is like it's quite a lot of like key subplot points that's like there's so much in there but they never explore it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's um, like, whoa, that's a whole fine. story. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this whole like he really wants to go to war. Yeah. Um, but for some reason like this is also another weird thing, right? He's a prince. Mm. He really wants to go to war with this other town, but he for some reason needs to paint this like uh uh, like this sympathetic story, so that he's allowed to go to war. Like he's, a, mm. he, they're not shareholders, are they? Like, no, <laughs> you know what no, I mean? No, like, no. it's it's creating like a whole, I guess, facade and description for uh, how powerful his character is destined to be, perhaps. But um, but it's never explored at all. Yet. Yeah, but not yet. Like it's it's, but it's not explored at all. And it's funny how that's kind of shoehorned in there. Where it seems like a very interesting angle that they could have taken the story a little bit further to make the runtime a bit longer because mm. the runtime's like an hour and 30 minutes so you're kind of thinking it's not long it's and not long i'm actually happy about that but like <laughs> um <laughs> like i'm cool with it yeah. but like they they could have they could have easily made it longer yeah yeah um now through now though he plans to kill her on her wedding night uh, to incite the same outcome Rugen opens a secret door in a large tree uh, tree bedside. Um, large tree bedside. Then, did I just skip a line? Wait. Rugen opens a secret door in a large tree beds uh, bes- beside them <laughs> via a knob on its truck trunk and invites the prince down into the pit of despair. The prince declines, citing this heavy workload, and says goodbye. I. I enjoyed that scene a lot. <laughs> it was like, ah, I gotta prepare for the war. You know? I'm <laughs> and then the guy's like, yeah, 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 you, you work a lot. You gotta rest. You gotta rest. Like, these are the little nuggets that I really enjoyed in this I film. think it's just, it's clever. It's clever comedic lines. Like, super clever. Yeah. And it's very much that Mal Brooksian type humor as well. Exactly. And I do really enjoy that. Like, I, I've complained a lot about this movie, but I, I, I do really enjoy that. Mm. In the pit, the pale man straps Wesley to the machine, a device designed to suck the life out of his victim, out of its victim. Rugen sets it to the lowest setting, and a slot opens to allow water to rush over, uh, over the water wheel, turning the machine's parts and causing Wesley to groan in agony. They let him suffer for a minute and uh, turn on, turn the machine off again. Rugen claims to have just sucked away one year of Wesley's life, claiming to be uh, writing a book on pain. We're going to ask Wesley how he feels, but Wesley responds only by sobbing. Uh. <laughs> oh, he starts crying, right? I don't know if he, yeah, cries. he cries. Does he cry? He's like totally crying then. I think I always found that like a little bit interesting. Oh, I don't, I don't think he was crying, but I thought it was just kind of going, uh, like moaning or whatever. Oh yeah, he does cry. Uh, I think there's a tear. Yeah. I think there's a tear, like an actual tear. Yeah, I thought it was totally crying. Like it sounded like crying noises, but again, it, it, again, it, it doesn't matter. But like, yeah, it's just that that part's funny. 
<laughs> in his office, Prince Humperdinck pursues um, or per- what? Peruse? Peruse's pile. Peruse's piles of paperwork. Yeah, he has to look through the piles of paperwork. I've never heard of that word. <laughs> oh, really? Peruse's piles of work paperwork. Um, his chief enforcer, Yellen, comes in, and Humperdinck tells him that invaders from Gilda have infiltrated the nearby forest of thieves and are planning to kill Buttercup on their wedding night. Yellen expresses skepticism, but they're interrupted by Buttercup asking if there's an up- any update on contacting Wesley. Humperdinck asks her to be patient, and she reminds him that Wesley will come for her and leaves. Humperdinck demands that the thieves' forest be emptied and its inhabitants arrested on the day of the wedding. Yellen worries that he won't have the numbers to overcome the thieves' resistance, but Humperdinck angrily tells him to form a brute squad and see it done. I don't understand that either. Like, okay, it's, it's not important, but like he, he goes, he, he he gives the rumor, and then he says, "You really need to empty the wall, the woods, and have a lot of security." But then, like, like is he gonna blame them for fucking it up? I guess it, that's probably what it is, right? Mm-hmm. He's gonna he's going to get her killed and then blame them and say, "I put all the stops out to try and protect her, and she still died anyway." Okay, makes sense. <laughs> I think, yeah, you answered the question. <laughs> yeah. On the, yeah. On the day of the wedding, Yellen's man carry out the daunting task of rounding up the hundreds of thieves inhabiting the forest. A drunk Inigo Montoya refuses to move as he rambles about waiting for Vicini at the spot where they were originally hired to help kidnap Buttercup. A soldier, a soldier enlists the help of, of Physic, who was on the brute squad, uh, but he instead knocks the soldier unconscious and greets Inigo fondly. He nurses him back to sobriety and tells him of Count Rugen, the six-fingered man um, up at the castle, but says that the castle door is guarded by 30 men, Inigo admitting his inability to strategize claims to need uh, to need the help of the man in black who bested Fezzik, Vizzini, and himself to get inside to kill Rugen. He runs off to find him. Humberdick sharpens a dagger in his office and as Yellen comes in to report the thieves' forest is empty and the door guarded by 30 men as only the key which Yellen keep, um, <laughs> will keep on his person. Humberdink tells him to increase the guards' number to 60. Buttercup comes in and the Humberdink proclaims that they'll soon be married off <laughs> married and off on their honeymoon around the world accompanied by a ship in his armada buttercup realizes that having every ship present means that he didn't send his four fasses to seek out wesley she is nonetheless confident that he will come for her and cause the prince a coward uh sorry she calls the prince a coward and says that he can even he can never break the true love she has uh, she and wesley share this enrages him and he locks her in the room and runs to the pit of despair resenting um wesley so much that he throws the machine sitting into his highest prompting even rugen to protest not prompting even rugen to protest he goes to the highest setting and what is it called it's called like um 50 right isn't it i, like, I thought there was like a numbered. ridiculous like title for it oh really i thought it was like just 50 uh maybe i'm imagining it i thought there was always like a ridiculous title to it like uh like extreme or insane or something like that <laughs> oh i don't recall but like, I mean, he was like on like one, yeah, and then and he loses one he was, like, year. Crying. Yeah, he was crying. Yeah, he goes to fifty. Yeah. yeah, and the scream that he has here, like, 
Um, his screams echo scream throughout the farm. Like, isn't it the famous scream? Like that, like, uh... It kind of reminds me... Star Wars, Luke falling down scream? Like, it's that scream, it, right? The, the Wilhelm scream. I don't know. It reminded me of the scream that I remember hearing on the Iron Man commercials. Oh, sorry, not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Iron Man commercials yeah, and, like, the... I, you're talking about, like, Iron... No, you're talking about the, the serial one. Yeah, sorry, um... Nutri-Grain, yeah. It is the scream from that, yeah. right? Or there's obviously yeah, exactly. they take I it from. Like it's that that canned screen noise. Yeah, maybe they take it from Princess Bride, obviously, because Princess Bride is long before <laughs> Nutri Green. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but that's a that's a pretty funny scream. Um, heard by the townsfolk, Buttercup in the castle, and Anigo and Physic as they search for him. Anigo recognizes the screams as they, as the same ones as the as his heart made his, when his father died, and they follow them into the forest. Oh, that's interesting. So it's presumably, I guess I didn't really like think about this. Presumably, his father went through the same torture. <laughs> I guess if he's saying that sure. it was like the same screams, hmm, I didn't pick up on that. Like one. I, yeah, I. That's a, he says that I think, but it didn't make sense to me at the time. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. They come upon the pale man rolling up a wheelbarrow, and an ego threatens <laughs> him to uh, at sword uh, at sword point. Physic attempts to jog his memory with a bop to the head, but but it hits him so hard, too hard that it knocks him unconscious. And Ego kneels and calls upon the soul of his father to point the sword toward the man in black. At this scene, like, did you feel like this was like again, like a, a little bit too silly? <laughs> yeah, no, it's not too silly. It's perfect. <laughs> it's like the perfect amount of silliness. Well, yeah, it's like like I'm not going to say that anything is like not that silly anymore. Like at this point, I'll just accept anything. <laughs> But you're like happy with the silliness, right? Because you can yeah. still like enjoy or not enjoy. Absolutely, I still um, think it's with it's consistent with what with the world that Rob Reiner and um, William Goldman have built. Yeah, okay, <laughs> and he's also I'm like a, like Wesley. I mean, sorry, Wesley Montoya is an odd character. Like he says odd things, and it seems a little bit out of place. And he's he seems like a man out of time as well, a little bit. Um, I know we were saying yeah. that like uh, physic, just throwing off physic. We we're saying that. Um, Vizini was a man at a time. I feel like Inigo Montoya is kind of like that too. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He's like he's he's definitely he speaks in a interesting he way. He speaks in like a poetic <laughs> way all the time. Yeah. Um. So the sword moves uh, to the nearby tree. Inigo th- thinks that is a dead end, but when he leans uh, to the secret knob in defeat, the entrance to the pit of despair is revealed. Instead, they find Wesley dead on the table. The boy interrupts to ask if Wesley is actually dead. Um. And we return to his room. He wants to know who kills Humperdinck at the end. But the grandfather says that Humperdinck lives. This upsets the boy. And the grandfather stands and suggests that they stop so (laughs) so as to not agitate his illness. The boy relaxes and asks him to sit and keep reading, which he does. This is kind of cute. Like when he says, yeah, I enjoy all the Fred Savage things. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) It is kind of cute. Because he's like, he's so into it. Like, it's such a... It's almost like a character arc for Fred Savage, you know? We start in the beginning, exactly. kind of like regretting the, one the moment. That growth. <laughs> <laughs> He's got good character growth. Yeah. Um, so we're back in the pits. Anigo and Physic um, take Wesley's body to a miracle worker in the woods named Max, who once worked uh, for the king before Humberdick fired him. Max initially shoes them off, saying he'd probably kill the client since the prince obviously didn't trust his competence. But when Anigo tells him that the man is already dead, he agrees to take a look. 
All <laughs> oh, right, I like I do enjoy this Billy Crystal cameo too. Yeah, I, I, was Billy Crystal like a big deal back then or no? Yeah, he was huge. He was Blazing Saddles. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, 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 nice. He was big into that whole comedy world. He was like very, very close partnership with um, Mel Brooks. Um, and uh, yeah, 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 he's a big comedian all the time. So it was a cool little cameo for him. And I think I think he's really, really great in these scenes. Um, yeah, he's enjoyable. Like, he's good. I didn't even know it was him. Yeah, <laughs> we couldn't tell from this like sloppy makeup. <laughs> it was ridiculous amounts of makeup, right? It was a lot. It was a lot, and there wasn't really that much effort to make them like behave and perform to the age that they're supposed to be portrayed as. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they lay him out on the kitchen table where the man is already dead. Um, Oh, sorry. They lay him out of the kitchen table where the man inspects him and finds that he's not completely dead, just mostly dead. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got some, he explains like how the difference between those two concepts. Yeah, I got some Miracle Max um, quotes here. Uh, the king's sticking son fired me, and thank you so much for bringing it up, sir. Um, such a painful subject. <laughs> While you're at it, why don't you give me a nice paper cut and lemon and pour lemon juice on it? We're closed. Yeah, sorry, that was in the beginning. Um, beat it or I'll call the brute squad <laughs> I'm on the brute squad <laughs> you're on the brute squad and like don't rush me Sonny you rush you rush a miracle maybe you get rotten miracles um, yeah that's right <laughs> so we're here he yells at Wesley about um, why he wants to live and upon pressing on Wesley's chest Wesley groans out barely audible true love Max pretends to have I love how like Montoya's like Oh, I heard him. He said true love. <laughs> I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. Why Why does he not? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, he doesn't want to talk about true love because he's like so worried about screwing it up, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He doesn't want to try anymore. Mm. Um, Max pretends to have heard what something. Like, to bluff, to bluff or something like that. Yeah, something to that effect. Um, when an ego interrupts to say that Wesley's survival will mean saving Buttercup and humiliating Humperdinck, uh, Max stops to agrees to help, wanting revenge on Humperdinck for firing him. He and his wife... Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> it's all the beer I'm just having. He, he and his <laughs> wife give the men a you small... You a, a beer review. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, that's true. No, no, no. Oh, sorry. Um, he and his wife. Uh, men a small pill covered in chocolate, saying to wait 15 minutes before administering it and send them off <laughs> okay so Anigo and Physic uh, carry the still mostly dead Wesley up to the castle and observe now 60 guys protecting the, the castle door Anigo is under undeterred and since they have the man in black to help them and they prop him up and feed him the miracle pill he awakens immediately but can't move his body yet Anigo explains that the situation and Wesley uh, their situation and Wesley says that there's no way for the three of them to best 60 men with no time and plan unless they had a wheelbarrow and holocaust cloak <laughs> they remember that the pale man had a wheelbarrow outside of the pit of despair and physic reveals that he took the holocaust coat from Max's house why is it called the holocaust cloak like is there a reason for that I don't know <laughs> yeah, I have no idea it's, too, it's ridiculous again. Meanwhile, in the castle, uh, Prince Humperdinck helps Buttercup put on the necklace, saying that she should be excited to get married. Buttercup still believes that Wesley will come for her and clarifies she's not getting married. Um, 
a bunch of other quotes here. Uh, more. Oh, okay, we haven't got up to that part yet. Um, darkness falls, and Anigo and Physic and Wesley prepare to carry out their plan in the castle chapel. The wedding begins. The clergy, the clergyman with a considerable speech impediment, begins to officiate. Mowage, Mowage is what brings us to today. Hey. <laughs> hey, again. <laughs> Like what, what? What's going on with this guy? Like, I, I didn't. Like, is it just funny because it's funny? Is that is that kind of like the premise here? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's just. What did you think though? Like, I just laughed, man. Think? I just thought it, was, <laughs> it was hilarious. I just laughed. I was like, why the hell does he sound like this for? And that, that's another. It's another quote that a lot of yeah. like uh, cult followers like say all the time. Marriage. Marriage is what marriage is that blessed arrangement that dream with a dream. <laughs> that dream within a dream. Yeah. Man's doing insane. The way he said it is actually quite like, it's somewhat funny. Then love, true love, will follow you forever. <laughs> so treasure your love. Skip to the end. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um Terrified, uh, physical blue. Uh, here we are. Okay. Um, I lost where I was. <laughs> where Negro and Wesley uh, on his back wheels, physic um, forward in the barrow under the Holocaust cloak, terrifying the guards. Physic um, bellows that um, oh, that, that he's, he's dread pirate, yeah. pirate Roberts here for their souls. Oh yeah, what does he say? He's like, I am the. Does he even say I am the Dread Pirate Roberts? More or less, it's exactly that. Hey, he says, like I'm Dread Pirate Roberts, I'm here. Yeah. He, I think he <laughs> says exactly that almost. Yeah. And Anigo lights the cloak on fire, causing the men to scatter and flee in terror. Back inside, Humberdink sends Rugend off with the men to deal with the problem and has the clergyman skip to the end of the officiation. Um, Buttercup glo- gloats what. I didn't enjoy uh, that the fact is here though, that, to save her. Like at, earlier. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, what I like the fact that earlier it's kind of shown that, like, the name of Dread Private Roberts means something, and, like, in this scene they throw back to that. Like, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool little throwback to that. Um, and it kind of, yeah, because, like, this whole story about Dread Private Roberts being, like, this legendary guy who's, I don't know, presumably, like, a non-stop killing machine. Not non-stop killing machine, but just, like, this fearsome villain or something out there. Or anti-villain. Mm. Anti-hero, anti-hero, I should say. Yeah. I mean, as far as they're concerned, Dread Pirate Roberts is a villain, right? Like, he's mm. not a anything. He's a, he's a straight-up villain, I feel like. Yeah. Um, Buttercup gloats yeah. and um, uh, that Wizzy is here to save her outside of only Yellen is, uh, has stood his ground and physics stops him from lowering the gate. Humberdig tells Buttercup that he killed Wesley himself, but Buttercup doesn't believe him. Noting the fear in their eyes, Anigo threatens to save Physic Tear um tear Yellen's arm off <laughs> he doesn't surrender the doors key which he promptly does humperdink has the clergyman say man and wife <laughs> concluding the ceremony That's and right like straight into the yeah yeah because he has to cut to the end and tells the king to escort buttercup quickly to her room and that oh shit and that is the wedding scene or the wedding scene and the dread pirate moment scene <laughs> an ego physic um and still mostly paralyzed wesley um search the castle halls coming upon rugen and his men rugen orders his men to kill an ego and physic and t- take wesley for questioning 
But Anigo defeats them one by one until only Rugen remains. Anigo utters the phrases he's been waiting 20 years to say. Hello, my name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And then I love how he just runs away. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what I didn't like? Uh, anyway, like, it's cool how he just runs away. But I didn't like how the scene played out at the end. Like, anyway. I'll explain why. Like, he runs away because you think he's scared. But actually, he's just doing it for tactical reasons. And he's actually smart. I wish he was actually scared. Yeah, he's doing it for tactical re- reasons. But what makes it even funnier is because it looks like he's scared. I think that was deliberate in the direction. Yeah, at the time, it was funny. Like, I'm yeah. like, oh, wow. <laughs> and the way he runs, it looks so wimpy and shit. It's like, you could catch up to that guy, man. <laughs> uh, so he really mu- runs yeah. away. And Nico uh, gives chase and calls for Physic to break down the door. Physic leaves Wesley temporarily hanging, at, hanging on a suit of armor to help him. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's how he's like sort of just hanging there. That's funny. On the suit of armor. <sighs> The king and queen escort uh, Buttercup to her room. Um, she pauses to give the, ki- the king a kiss on the cheek, thanking him for being so kind to her and saying that she plans to kill herself. The senile king celebrates receiving the kiss and doesn't seem to hear her suicidal threat. Physic returns to where he left Wesley to find him gone. Meanwhile, Inigo chases Rugen through the castle. Rugen descends a staircase and waits. When Inigo comes down, he throws knife into his stomach um Anigo ap- apologizes aloud to his father for falling for failing him Rugen recognizes him as a former 11 year old that he bested 20 years ago <laughs> I love how it's described yeah. as he bested memory, an 11 year old 20 years ago <laughs> good memory I don't think that's anything you can forget though <laughs> TBH that's actually true I didn't realize I, didn't um, realize. I was like I beat you 11 years <laughs> when you were a child <laughs> buttercup goes to her room and takes a dagger and takes a dagger from its case she prepares to stab herself but wesley makes himself known <laughs> laying in her bed and leading her she embraces him but he can't hold her because of the lingering paralysis i wonder if there's some quotes i have in here from there uh no to the pain i don't think i'm quite familiar with that phrase i'll explain and i'll use small words mm, no anyway that's when he's talking to umpadink right yes he's trying to stall yeah. with him yeah that's right um there are some like funny words um that he exchanges here like what's do you remember the the line that he says when he's laying on the bed he says something about breasts when she goes to kill herself He's like, there's a yeah, shortage. Yeah, like you've got great breasts. You shouldn't like waste them or something. Like, well, there's a shortage of like great yeah, breasts in this world or something like that. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't ruin yours. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> um, okay, so the ladder begins to move forward, repeating. Oh wait, sorry. Enigo slowly pulls out the knife from his bleeding stomach and gets to his feet. Clearly suffering, Rugen attempts to strike him through with his sword, but Enigo uh, weakly deflects it with a swing of his own. I love how like how how weak the way he like parries the sword. Um, <coughs> I I do find it funny. It reminds me of um God um like did you watch Monty Python um, Holy Grail? Yeah, yeah, that's great. I love Monty Python. Yeah. And there's like a scene where um, there's a guy and he's, he just keeps getting hit. Oh, and, the guy, um, the guy in the forest, like, like the, the, the knight. Kind of like... 
Yeah, the yeah the knight, and he like gets his arms chopped off and stuff. Yeah, it's similar to this in the sense that he keeps deflecting it into his arms, and then you see these like blood puddle appear, <laughs> like out of his arm and out of his other arm, yeah. and like he's just constantly getting like stabbed. It's just funny. Yeah, he's got so much tenacity, man. He doesn't want to disappoint his father, so he's got all this rage built up, and he's trying to do it in the best way possible. And it's like this most ridiculous like parry of the sword, and he's still getting stabbed, and he's like losing so much blood. <laughs> Um, the ladder begins to move forward, repeating over and over again his prepared phrase. Hello, my name, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Rugen tries to fa- tries and fails to best him, but Inigo regains his strength, fighting harder and quicker and eventually shouting the phrase before gaining the upper hand and finally cornering Rugen. He slices his left cheek um, as Rugen once sliced his and asks for money. <laughs> Rugen promises, promises to him. He slices the right cheek, asking for power. Rugen again agrees. Inigo asks for anything he wants and Rugen promises it to him, saying he he wishes only for his father back. Inigo strikes him through the stomach, killing him. He then runs from the room. <laughs> Those are the repeated lines we're talking about before. It's a cool scene. It's a cool yeah, scene. Yeah, he... Oh, what Oops. Do you hear? What's going on? Deleting that. <laughs> I don't know delete no i can't delete it um can't but anyway <laughs> uh we're back onto this part here we're almost like to the end of this plot buttercup apologizes to wesley for getting married saying she had no choice wesley clarifies that she didn't actually say i do and therefore the marriage is null prince Hubbardin appears in the doorway and says he can fix that technically but first challenges wesley to a fight to the death Wesley instead promises to horribly disfigure him and condemn him to a life of anguish as a mutilated freak. <laughs> um, I think I have it here, right? I don't. Do think, you uh, enjoy um, like the? Oh, do you have it? You had I it before, think yeah. So. Yeah, I think it's here, right? Um, no. Like, yeah, like it's not a lot. Like it's conceivable, you miserable, vomitous mass, like that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. <laughs> I'll explain and I'll use small words so that you're that you'll be sure to understand you Woth Wathhog Wathhog faced buffoon. Um and then Prince Humperdick says that may be the first time in my life a man has dared insult me. It won't be the last. It's conceivable, you miserable vomitous mass, and the only lying there oh <laughs> that I'm only lying here because a lack of strength to stand. And he says, Drop your sword. <laughs> the, the thing I don't understand, right? This is the part I don't get, and 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 I guess I don't know. One, he doesn't know that he has like a potion that is going to give him his strength back. So he admits to him, "I don't have strength to stand." You know, um, the prince should kill him. Two, he's like, "Drop your sword." He doesn't know that the man in black's a really good sword fighter, does he? Nah, he doesn't. Oh no, he does. He does. Remember, he was investigating the sword fights. Yeah, but he just—he just knows that someone won. Yeah, he I guess know how good he says he calls them both masters, but yeah, I mean, I guess from from those scenes of his investigative skills, he probably um, he he probably alluded or or entertained the idea that these swords men were quite good at what they were doing, except for the loser. I guess, I guess that's the way to mm. like justify that. Um, 
Hubbard thinks he's bluffing, but when Wesley stands, Hubbard drops his weapon. Buttercup tries uh, ties him to a chair as Inigo finds them. Wesley collapses, showing he was fiending. Uh, having regained his strength he decides to spare Humperdinck sentencing him to a life of um, alone with his cowardice they hear Fezzik calling to them and they find him outside with the window of four white horses to take them away to safety Buttercup jumps down into Fezzik's arm before following her and Nigo explains to Wesley that his whole life um, has been focused on getting revenge on Rugen and now that he has gotten it he doesn't know what to do Wesley suggests he become the next Jed Pirate Roberts and then jumps off, uh, jumps out of the window after Buttercup. A Negro appears, pleased at the idea. The four of them mount their horses and ride off. Wesley and Buttercup are about to celebrate their victory with a kiss when the grandfather cuts off the story. <laughs> um, uh, I just want to go to Anigo's quote. Like remembering the boy doesn't like. The yeah, I just want to go to Anigo's quote first. Um, you know, it's of a very strange. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. I've been um, in the revenge business so long. Now that it's over, I don't know what to do. It's like, have you ever considered piracy? <laughs> uh, you'd make a wonderful dread pirate, Roberts. See, there's a cool line from Wesley. I like his, I like Wesley's line. So that's the thing I was gonna say. I, I'm not sure if I asked you. I actually don't like Wesley's lines very much. Like, I don't know if I dislike. Carry Elwes, but I don't like it when he speaks. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the grandfather cuts off the story, remembering that the boy doesn't like the kissing parts, but the boy protests, saying he doesn't mind them so much anymore. The grandfather then finishes the book, saying that the Wesley and Buttercup's kiss put all of history's previously most passionate kisses to shame. <laughs> he then advises the boy to go to sleep and dons his hat and coat. As he exits, the boy asks his grandfather if he'll come over tomorrow to read the story again to him. The father replies happily, as you wish. Turns out the light and exits. And that is the end of the plots. What a movie! So good, right? Detail <laughs> plot, I should say. That was <laughs> that was that was one detailed plot. Uh, like, that was one way to go through the entire. <laughs> no comment. Come on. Yeah. So, so what are your thoughts after going through the plot? It sounded like you were really enjoying a lot of the parts that we're going through, um, especially after your initial like uh, first impression. No, look, I would say that it's much the same like I, there, there were a couple of times where i was like oh yeah i like this line i like that line i like a couple of other lines but the fact that the like the plot is super wacky um in ways that i don't know if i enjoy like you seem to just be like oh wacky yeah the wackier the better let's keep on rolling with the wackiness and and again with 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 men in tights i seem into that but for this one i get like a little bit annoyed and some of the quotes, like, it's funny because you went through a lot of quotes in your recap this time. And I'd say I enjoyed, like, half of them. I, I really <laughs> didn't like any of Kerry Elwes's lines at all. Like, yeah. he, he shits me more after this um, <laughs> recap. But, yeah, overall, it's still fine. It's still fine. Yeah. Man, yeah, I, I really have a big heart for this movie. And um, I don't, I don't want to keep, like, beating the same drum all the time. But, yeah, it's, it's just a movie that I enjoy. And it's just so endearing. And... It's it's, it's rewatchable. You should beat the same drum. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just such a rewatchable movie, man. Like I can just constantly watch this. So that's why, you know, like at like the last part of the last line of this recap, uh, where the grandfather replies happily by saying, As you wish, turns out the lights. It's like, yeah, man, we're gonna do this review and recap again soon. <laughs> <laughs> just one day it'll just be you just reading yeah like sorry, sorry you said you got it from a website like this is the most detailed recap i've ever seen in my life yeah um i think it's from like a website not a blogger but just like someone who's like uh perhaps just a really big fan and a loyal dedicated fan to princess bride and i think that's yeah that's where i got it from so yeah, good kudos for them, man. Like they they wrote out like a really good detail plot. I mean, right, and this okay, how this cool. is how recap should really be though, is that like the the recap should be like very detailed in its plot, so then we can really identify the strands of each scene throughout the movie. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, what did you think when you read this again? You're like thinking to yourself, you know what? I love this even more now. I love it. I love it so much more. Possibly. I mean, I, I don't think I could love this movie anymore. Like, I'm pretty vocal about how much I love the film. Um, from an objective standpoint, it's 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 a tricky one because you can't really apply objective classic rules for filming in this because it's so over the top. And so it almost, like, sits in its own pocket, like its own universe, you know, where it's established its own thing and its own thing of what they're doing, the satire stuff, because... And so I think it kind of deserves uh, criticism based on its own merits and not by any merits outside of that, if that makes sense. It, does, it that doesn't really <laughs> <laughs> make sense to me. When you say it deserves, what is it? it deserves criticism on its own merits, not other merits? Like, what do you mean? Like, you think like, you shouldn't compare it to other films or, or, well, or, yeah, or like, judge it as you would another film? Yeah, the same way that we'll judge and criticise, analyse other films. It doesn't... Like, those rules don't really apply to this because it's already established those rules being the antithesis to those rules. You know? Like, how ridiculous the whole script is. Okay, I understand that. How ridiculous like all the characters are. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I get the idea that like this is meant to be a fantasy book for children played out on screen, and so you're not supposed to like analyze people's uh, motives or actions, or like it's not really meant to make the most sense. It's just meant to be fun, and I, and I get that, and I think it is doing a good job of being fun. Um, yeah, no, I, I understand that. Like, I I think it took me a long time to get over the fact that I dislike the dialogue, but I can sort of see what they're going for, and I can understand how someone would like it. Um, so yeah, let's wrap this up. Um, it's a pretty long cast. Like, let's hear what you have to say for your out of ten experience with Princess Bride. Out of ten. Be nine. careful. Okay, be look. careful with this rating, man. Otherwise, people are going to come after you. People are be <laughs> mad at me. Um, look, they are going to be mad at me. I. I want to give it a seven. Oh wow, that's higher than I expected. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't hate it. Like, don't get me wrong. I didn't hate it. Like it's Mel Brooksian. I love that. It's fun and silly. I, I enjoy all that stuff. Like it doesn't make sense, but you're right. I didn't actually judge it that hard on that. I don't see why people love it so much. I don't understand why it's like everyone's favorite movie of all time. But it's not a bad film. I think. I think it's a film that requires multiple um, watchings. I think because like th- this is a movie that. that I didn't. I didn't feel like fall in love with. Like when I first saw it. When I first saw it, I was kind of like, yeah. That's all right. Um, yeah. 
But like when you saw it the first time, though, you didn't have like all of that background, did you? Like, mm, not really. You were not. The, you were not the first person who told me it was his favorite movie of all time. Like, yeah, I didn't have. I didn't know what the cult following is. I don't know when that cult following started, but I think it really kicked into gear when people started to watch it multiple times. Mm. It became like a tradition to watch it. It became like a film that a lot of schools chose to um, chose for film study. Um, so a lot of schools like got inducted that way to the whole Princess yeah, Bride right. culture. And then I think as you mature with it, like you go from watching it as a kid, watching it as a teenager, then in your early sort of um, adult years, you you build a more mature perspective on it. And then you start to like really see it for what it is and it becomes like fun and exciting. And I only really started to love this film probably about 10 years ago. I'd say, yeah, probably about 10 years ago, like 20... 2012, maybe later, over 10 years ago, perhaps. 2012, something like that. Right, and had, how many times mm. had you seen it by then? I think I'd seen it like five times by then. Because <laughs> I, I, I watched it with other film enthusiasts too, and, and they were all quoting the lines, and it just felt like this fun culture like subculture within the culture of film to be a part of and i was like man this is this fun because like, the lines it's like are people catchy. that love the room yeah people that <laughs> yeah exactly it's kind of people that love the room um <laughs> i'm not one of those people i hate that film um but yeah but it's, it's, it's great you're right it's kind of like that idea it's like there's this whole culture like subculture within film around people loving the room and the Princess Bride's kind of like that as well. Yeah, okay, fair. But I, I'm I'm comfortable with my seven. I, I feel and like I respect you if you don't use my score. Like you normally do an average of our scores. I'm no, okay I'm doing an average of the score. That's fine. <laughs> I can do it. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. Yeah, it's fine. Are you going to give it a twelve? <laughs> I'm going to give this a twenty. <laughs> then average the score. Like, like give I'm it a thirteen. Like, take the average and go. Oh, seven, thirteen. Guess it averages at ten. <laughs> Oh, that's going in the edit anyway so that's gonna be funny all right man well it's been a, it's been a long cast so i don't want to like keep holding you back i've chewed up all your uh evening but uh you know this is what the listeners are here for man they're here for a bunch of nerds like you and me talk about film non-stop and Wait, so what give... did you give it did you give it i gave it a 10 <laughs> <laughs> like look like in in um in a perfect world, does it deserve a ten? Probably not. This ten is is purely from like my passionate sensation of loving this film. But I also think with oh, I've at least given good reasons to this being a ten. Um, mm. I don't think there's uh, I've given any irrational reasons for it. Um, but you know that, that's what the listeners are here for, man. They're here for all that deep dive. That really, really intricate analysis of film that's fun today was collaborative. deep i thought and it was deep today was deep it was deep dive this was deep capital d man capital d, capital d. <laughs> all right man, man well i have to say goodbye to you um and it's good to oh, see yeah. you <laughs> yeah always what are we going to catch you on the next Maybe. podcast for us come i will do forest gum if you do it soon yeah we'll have to watch it again i'm pretty excited about that oh look it's a pretty long film it is a long film um I'll put it in the list. I'll put it in the list of other films that we need to watch and review and recap. But if you're really adamant, like I'll use you as kind of the driver behind this. Um, I can do that one. Tell let me, let me, let me, let me, uh, guest host. Yeah. Okay. Well, right. hello everybody. Let's, uh, let's ruminate on that then. <laughs> <laughs> 
nice. All right. Um, thank you to the listener for showing up again. Um, and uh, we will catch all of you for the next episode of the Jekyll Podcast. Bye, everyone. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah.